Hi, I'm Aaron Douglas. You most likely know me from Battlestar Galactica, where I played Chief Tyrrell. And I've been on a bunch of other things. I was Turtle in the Flash and Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. I was Gordon Rimmer. That's a, that's a fan favorite. Jordy Chin from Ubisoft's Watch Dogs. Watch for more of that. And now I'm writing comic books for Aftershock Comics. And you are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that is very much holding its nerve. Does it help? We'll find out. I'm your host Craig and we're here to discuss the news and trailers and things that happened in June of 2023. And joining me, her turn on the news desk, it's Kat. Hello. Hello there. Although, which surname should we go with for you <laughs> since you have recently become a missus? I don't know that I love the title missus, but I'm keeping my maiden name, I guess, at least professionally. So whether or not I change it in the future after my proper wedding remains to be seen, but that's just going to be for legal things. But publicly, I will still be Kat Trebetti. Okay. Well, congratulations from all of us here at the podcast. Thank you very much. And since you're part of that, you've congratulated yourself, so... There you go. Yes. Well done, me. Self-congratulatory. <laughs> it's all about that. Someone has a to do A pat on the back. <laughs> <laughs> so June, that was a month, wasn't it? I mean, in more ways than one, it was very much a month. It still is a month. We're still in it at the moment in time. At the time of recording. Yes, we are. Technically accurate, as Aaron keeps saying. <laughs> Let's start with our usual been watchings. What have you been watching over the past while? I've been really into the Apple TV show Silo, which is based on a series of books. I think it's a trilogy by Hugh Woolley. No, sorry, by Hugh Howie. <laughs> the books are called Wool. <laughs> or at least the first book is called Wool. I'd bought the first two books a while ago. As listeners may or may not know, I have an ebook problem. I just keep buying ebooks, particularly of science fiction and fantasy books. Is it 99p? I'll probably buy it. <laughs> And so I had heard of these, I knew of them. And when the TV show came out, I was like, oh, that's very interesting. And I do want to check it out. Great cast. It's got Rebecca Ferguson and David Oyelowo. And Tim Robbins is in it, Common, quite a few British actors that I've known from theatre, the odd thing here and there. Ben Kingsley's son is in it. So this is interesting. It's about a community of people who live in an underground silo. They cannot leave. There's toxic waste outside or something. And so they very much live their entire life underground. And there's a very particular set of rules that they have to follow that were set by the people who built the silo in the first place to make sure that they're safe. And one of those rules is you do not say that you want to go outside. And guess what <laughs> somebody says in the first episode? I'm going to leave that to your imagination. And so the mystery begins. And so it's very much about control and truth and distortions of truth and secrets and very well filmed, very interesting, very well paced. And now I've been also reading the first book as well, which the first season is based on and just kind of picking out the 
adaptation changes that they made here and there. I think it's extremely well adapted. It will be interesting to reach the end and see the bigger picture of why they made certain changes, perhaps to make it work better for TV. But yeah, highly recommend. I've watched the first couple of episodes of it. I thought it was engaging. Chris is raving about it. He chomps at the bit to see it every week. Yeah, I know. I'm like, oh, is it Friday yet? It's a new episode. I've just only had time to watch a couple of episodes. Although I did ask Apple to give me the screeners for it and I got the whole season at once. So I could have been 10 episodes ahead of everybody. Dude, come on. It's just I didn't have time. One day Apple are going to realise that I give them zero coverage and stop giving me stuff. Oopsie doopsie. Don't publicly acknowledge this. <laughs> I reviewed a couple of things for them, but not any TV content. I asked, they give, so whatever. I did enjoy it the first two. I sometimes like post-apocalypse stuff. It's interesting to look at them and you see the similarities. I described it in a previous podcast where we talked about the trailer as possibly it's a vertical snowpiercer. As in the idea of the classes as you go further up the silo. Well, no, there isn't a class system. Nothing that crazy as Snowpiercer, I don't think. Certainly there's differences between the up top versus the down deep and that sort of thing. But it's more about the different jobs that they have and how they're out of touch with each other. And less about relying on the work of some to live in affluence. I don't think that anyone in the silo is more or less still a part of life. The entire point is that everyone is needed in all of their various capacities and whether or not those in admin and government work less is a matter of debate. It was more based on the trailer that I got that impression. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas the show may be different. I don't know, I'm not far enough into it yet to really dig in, but one day. Yeah, I do recommend it. It is extremely thrilling. I can't remember the last time that I was that hooked on a cliffhanger. It's been a weird time for TV, to be honest. There's all of this stuff that we've been watching that I think kind of assumes that you'll stick around. Cliffhangers have gotten worse over the years, and this just kind of brought me back to that feeling of, oh my god, I gotta know what happens next. I need the new episode yesterday. Well, binge culture was very much, we only need to keep your attention for five minutes so that you'll watch the yeah. next one. But yeah, the weekly model is different. You have to entice you to watch next yeah. week, which I much prefer. It does make it a more exciting experience rather than the whole thing just merging into one. Yeah, for sure. And it is more manageable time-wise because you can make 45 minutes to watch a show or your new episode a day. If it's a Friday, there's a new silo. If it's a Wednesday, there's a new secret invasion or whatever's out right now. You can kind of space those out that way because otherwise there's just a mountain of content and not enough time to sit down and watch 10 hours in a row before the entire internet spoils. <laughs> but as you say, it is more exciting to have that wait, and it gives people the chance to maybe talk about the episode between now and the next one. You actually have time to process things. Yeah, and then the new tactic is watch it quickly or we'll delete it forever. Oh, that too. My goodness. I think all of this should not be allowed. Quite frankly, writing things off for tax purposes and literally erasing things from existence so that people won't be able to see it. it rubs me extremely in the wrong way. And as much as I am 
subscribing to Disney Plus and whatever, it frustrates me. It makes me very angry that that is a thing that's just allowed. Yeah, cool. Just delete all of this culture that means a lot to people. Neat. Well, they are watching the death of streaming in real time, I think, in terms of really? the they're doing these things, just taking things that don't have a chance to build up an audience, really. The mm-hmm. latest thing was Paramount dumped a lot of stuff, which included Star Trek Prodigy, which I was really upset about because yeah. Star Trek Prodigy is my favourite modern Star Trek. And they're deleting season one from the platform. They're telling them to continue working on season two, but it doesn't have a home currently. It might never be seen. Oh, wow. That's insane. To that me. is insane. Yeah. I mean, someone might just leave a flash drive lying around somewhere. And well, if this made it onto the internet, that would be a real shame, wouldn't it? Because that's the way it's mm. going to have to go, isn't it? These things are going to have to leak. The yeah. big high-profile one was Batgirl, a film that just got dumped for tax reasons in favour of another film that probably should have been dumped for tax reasons, but I'll get on to that. A hundred percent. Oh, my goodness. The subject of a different podcast, probably, but yes. But yeah, Silo, highly recommend. I will get back to it at some point when I have time. Anything else that you've been viewing? I can't really think. I've been reading a lot more, actually, recently. I just read the two books written by Hank Green, An Absolutely Remarkable Thing, is the first book, and A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor is the second one. And it's kind of about first contact and social media and crypto. (laughs) I think I'll leave it there, but they've been tremendous fun, very accessible reading. It's very much Hank Green kind of talking about his philosophy on humanity and science and social media, which is what he does for a living. He's been on social media building empires based on science communication and community and things like that for almost 20 years. So naturally, he had a few things to say. And what better way to do it than writing about an influencer who becomes the mouthpiece for aliens making contact with human. It's beautiful. It's great. Also highly recommend. It's so much fun. I really enjoyed them. And if not, I'm sure it'll appear as a Netflix series that gets cancelled five minutes after it drops. Such is the way. I think it would make really good TV, actually. So I do hope it gets made, but not that it gets dropped immediately. Such is the way of things in the modern landscape. But yeah, cool. If you want to read something, maybe give that a go. My viewing has been pretty light in terms of TV. I watched the first episode of Secret Invasion and I thought it was fine, but just fine. It's all very surface level. It's actually weirdly amusing to watch supposed super spies have conversations where they don't seem to know how to inject subtext into the conversation. (laughs) There's a conversation between Samuel L. Jackson and Olivia Coleman, where they're supposed to be top of their game, high level spies of old who know each other. And they're just explaining the themes of the show to each other. And they're playing it all bare. There's a bit where she says, the Nick Fury of old would never have been caught by these goons. And he's like, well, I wanted to be caught. And I'm just thinking, isn't that obvious? Isn't it obvious that he went out and got caught in order to get conversation with you? I figured that out (laughs) before the scene started, so why can't you? And it's just because they're not writing it terribly cleverly. So who knows how it's going to pan out. I've only seen one episode. There'll be more than that out by the time this podcast appears. But at the moment, it's just kind of fine. And that's how I feel about most Marvel stuff at the moment. It's fine. And it's kind of lost its way in a way. And The show is kind of about that. Nick Fury is representing the MCU in a way, as in people keep telling him how old and tired he is. And you've never been the same since the blip, all that stuff. It all feels very targeted to the idea of the MCU needs to get back to its roots or change 
something and reclaim that quality, the idea that it's old and has been dragging on and needs to reinvigorate in some way. I don't know how deliberate that is, but it seems deliberate to me. I don't know, have you been watching it? Not yet, no. I kind of forgot it was happening (laughs) (laughs) until the whole rigmarole with the AI-generated opening happened online and everyone was talking about that. That ended up just being the conversation around the first episode. Yeah. Severe misfire. And that reminded me, oh, that's out. Not that I'm not looking forward to it. It's just I've kind of been disappointed in Marvel in the last little while. And so I just haven't been looking forward to this as much. It's just been like, yeah, I guess I'll watch it when it's out, whatever, which I realize is the exact polar opposite of how I felt when a lot of this stuff first started coming out. It's a bummer. I will say I miss the times that I was like, oh my God, they're dropping an entire season of stuff about Loki. Yes. Just those days where I was really excited about it, but they've made some really mediocre whatever shows and some even more mediocre whatever movies and so now it's just kind of like well i'm okay i'd rather watch whatever's on my next thing that i want to get into is again on apple tv just because i'm paying for it and so i might as well there's two shows actually there's foundation and invasion i think is the other one again it's about first contact and stuff all of those just seem so much more interesting to me than Here's a show about a character that we kind of don't care about very much, but we remembered that he exists. And so here's a show. (laughs) I think Nick Fury's been done dirty narratively in the grand scheme of Marvel things. But anyway, we'll watch it, I think, at some point. But I'm just not jumping around wanting to watch it this evening, you know? Yeah, makes sense. Another thing on Apple you might want to give a go is For All Mankind. Oh, yeah. The alternate reality moon landing show. Well, it starts off being that. I can't believe that there's three whole seasons of that. I had no idea about it when it was first coming out. And now that I'm just looking through the catalog, I'm like, look at all this stuff that's just there. So yeah, definitely. I've only seen the first season, but again, I want to go back to it one of these days. It's finding the time. There's so much content and so little time. And then I end up giving it to mediocre Marvel shows instead. Yeah, that's it. But something that isn't mediocre is Star Trek Strange New Worlds. It's in its second season and it is a better season than the first season in almost every way. I'm really enjoying it. I've seen six episodes as we record, only two have aired, with the third one being this week. So I think I can say with some authority that season two is, at least to my mind, better than season one because I've seen enough of it to decide if there's a trend of it getting better or not. And I think it is. It embodies a lot of what I like about Star Trek, and it's fun and swashbuckly, the characters are good. It's just a good Star Trek show, and I really hope they don't cancel it for tax reasons, because there's no guarantees now. But I think it is a flagship show, so if anything's safe, it's probably that. I hope so. It looks like it'll be really good. Yeah, it's good fun. Season 1 is good, I'm not saying it's bad, I'm just saying Season 2 is better. Mm -hmm. It feels like it's found its feet a bit more in its second season rather than season one, which I found there were some issues, particularly in this midsection where there was four episodes in a row that I wasn't super keen on. But that was just me. There was other people that were keen on at least some of those episodes. It's just whenever Star Trek tries to do comedy, I'm not a huge fan of it because it tends to not be funny to me. So that was a big problem with those episodes in season one. But they're being less embarrassing as far as I'm concerned this season. So it's okay. So yeah, watch that. It's good fun. The other thing is Superman and Lois, which is really good in its third season. It's quite hard watch. They're doing quite a moving and difficult cancer storyline. The episode should be coming with trigger warnings. I think they're going so deep into it. And it's not just the actual person fighting cancer. It's the 
surrounding effect it has on the people in their lives and things. It's a really good portrayal of it. I don't have any direct experience dealing with that, but to me it seems sensitive. And it's a very strange thing for a Superman show to be playing with, but they're doing it well. Its final episode is this week as we record, so we'll see how it goes with the final episode. Historically, its final episodes haven't been great. They seem to build up to something and then, oh no, we have to wrap this up and we only have one episode left. Uh, Do something. Magic button press that fixes everything or resolves some of our stuff and then we can move on. So I don't know what it's going to turn out like, but I'm encouraged, certainly by this season. We'll talk about next season later on. Mm. The other thing I'm still watching is How I Met Your Father, for some reason. I just can't not watch it. Oh my god, really? Actually? I haven't watched a single episode. Why are you doing this to yourself? <laughs> I've no idea. I think it's the 20 minute thing. It's easy to slot in when I'm doing something else. Yeah. So I just put it on and I think I'm coasting on my connection to its parent show in some way. But it's nowhere near as wacky. It doesn't do the weird things about storyteller perspective and things like that. Like the idea of the narrator being an unreliable one, as in they'll tell an entire story and then at the end they'll go, actually, that didn't happen like that. Mm-hmm. I'm remembering it wrong. Little things like that. They don't do that in How I Met Your Father. It plays it far more straight. It seems like the cast have fun, though. So isn't that something? They have fun and get paid. So that's good for them. <laughs> and the show is popular for reasons that I can't figure out. I don't think I've laughed once in two seasons. Oh, ouch. Yeah, Craig, you can give things up. You can quit. You can stop anytime. I know, but 20 minutes while I'm doing something else. Do you know how many 20-minute things there are that you could be watching that are better than this? Genuinely. Yeah, but it never gets my full attention. I'm always cooking or something else. I mean, okay, listen, if I have 20 minutes where I'm cooking or I'm doing whatever and I want to put something on, there's an endless stream of YouTube that I watch that I find more interesting or podcasts. There's just so much more that you don't have to do this to yourself. Trust me. (laughs) Trust me. (laughs) I know, but... I'm in now. And at some point I might give up, but not right now. It's a compulsion. I can't explain it. It's just one of those things. (laughs) We all have our weird things that we watch for our own reasons or no reason that I can figure out here. Movies wise, I've seen The Flash, which I thought was pretty bad. Although not as bad as I was expecting. I do think it has some moments of, not greatness, but some moments of competence in there. And despite what people might say about Ezra Miller, they are actually pretty good in the role that's written for them, or the two roles that are written for them. This, I believe, this is the biggest problem I have with The Flash, is that Ezra Miller is a good actor. There's no doubt about it. And I'm sure that they're great. It's just that they're also a criminal. Well, there's that. Oh my goodness. It doesn't matter how good someone is if they've perpetrated crimes and they're wanted by police and they're about to go to jail. WB is throwing their entire weight behind Ezra Miller and I'm like, I cannot with this. Well, it's a massive failure, so there's that. Yeah, there's also that. But I think I heard a mixed variety of the camp that says, no, this was actually fantastic. And the camp that's like, eh, it was fine. But I haven't heard anyone say that it's genuinely bad, which I suppose is a win at this point. I think a lot of the hyperbolic reactions would have been after 
audiences saw it early at CinemaCon and things like that. Right. You know the sort of reactions you get on the back of those. This was the best thing ever. Yes. All the people that said, it's the best DC movie since The Dark Knight. All that garbage. Oh, good God. Ignore all that. Just throw all that out. It's the same with any Marvel film. This is the best thing ever because I saw it two weeks before release. No, (laughs) ignore you. Your opinion doesn't count. Explain why you think that. Because you saw it two weeks before release. That's the reason. (laughs) There it is. Then when it actually comes out, you start to get a bit more measured. I didn't think it was terrible. Michael Keaton's an action figure and very little else. But he has an effortless charisma about him that means that he can make anything work, by and large. And the CGI is as bad as you've heard. Mm -hmm. It really is. It looks terrible in places. Although I will say that they did some good work with the actual creativity of the speed. So they made that, if not look real, at least interesting. Right. In terms of the way that they depicted it. Because it's not an easy thing to do, but they did a good job. And it wasn't just a copy of what the TV show was doing, at least not all the time. So there's that. Yeah. I have seen people criticise Ezra Miller's performance, and then when you dig further into it, it's because they find the character annoying. But that's more to do with the writing. Which has nothing to do with the performance. Yeah, okay, sure. So if you don't like Ezra Miller's Barry Allen because of how he's written, then that's fine. But I don't think you can realistically say that they gave a bad performance mm-hmm. they spend the whole film playing these two roles it's two versions of barry but they're different from each other and yet similar that can't have been easy and i thought they did a good job yeah aaron and i will be talking about it in more detail on a podcast that will appear at some point when i clear the massive backlog that exists so that will be happening another movie i saw which won't be appearing in a podcast was transformers rise of the beasts which I thought was fine. There's a theme here. There's a lot of things that I've seen that I thought were fine. It's one of the better Transformers films, I guess, mainly because it was about two hours long and had a lot less racism. Not none, but a lot less racism than the okay. average <laughs> Michael Bay film. Just a smaller amount. Same with sexism. Again, it's in there, but not to the same extent as you might expect. The designs of the robots were cool. The story was what you would expect from these things. Transformers fans, as in people that have read the comics and watched the old cartoon and stuff, will probably hate it because the Transformers are very little more than just set-piece fodder, really. So I get that. There's very little character to them, in a way. But yeah, it was okay. I didn't hate the time that I spent watching it. One thing I did find spectacular, though, was Spider-Verse, or Across the Spider-Verse. Oh, absolutely. It was brilliant. It was phenomenal. It was everything I wanted it to be. The first film is one of my favorite things. This absolutely lived up, stepped things up a few notches. Wow, that movie's beautiful. I think the first thing I said after it finished was, I'm really sorry to anyone else who makes an animated movie this year. (laughs) Here's your Oscar now. Okay, bye. Yeah, it's been tainted slightly by the chat that's come out on the back of it in terms of working conditions, which is all the usual stuff of the year. We were treated like crap. We were locked in a shed and told to finish these things. All that stuff. It's just horrible. The state of the industry right now, in VFX in particular, we've talked about this before in the podcast, but it's the thing that needs the most ground-up change. We cannot continue with the industry like this. People make these movies is the thing. As much as the studios might have some AI computer just generate some garbage and sell that, I guess, it's still art and people work on these things and they need to have the time and the resources to do it. They need to be paid appropriately. And if that means that you push your movie, it's all about scheduling and just making sure that you project manage correctly. If you don't have enough time to make something because you keep changing your mind or if you keep just making people redo work... 
it's your fault. It's not these poor people's fault. They're just working here. I suppose the one slight consolation to it is that the end result looks incredible on the back of all that horrific conditions, yeah. as opposed to just quantumania, as in people suffered so much for that to be the end result. Great. Well, not that it's worth it, but it's even less worth it if you're knocking your pan in to release something like Quantumania. Yeah. <laughs> in the state that it looks. Seriously. <laughs> it's not sustainable. No, clearly, yeah. I really hate that something so great is tainted by this. Oh yeah, this really sucked to work on. Everybody hated it. The conditions that we're under, that sucks. I remember saying to Chris when I came out of the cinema, my eyes are exhausted after watching this. Every frame was just bursting with everything. Yeah. And it's one of those things that you'd need to watch it on one one thousandth speed to catch everything i heard that there's minuscule differences in dialogue yeah and some visual stuff yeah here and there and it's on purpose that they did it to create truly a sense of randomness of glitches and stuff that's awesome i haven't been back to the cinema but honestly i also don't know if i would notice <laughs> <laughs> you'd have to be forensic about it yeah, I really commend the people who recognize dialogue being different on repeat viewings. Small incidental lines. I think all the plot-specific things were the same. And it yeah. was only background things or little lines here and there, but nothing that really affects the story. So I don't know how much of that I would recognize, to be honest. No, you would have to see the list and then be looking for it, I think. Can we nip this in the bud right now? Can we just not have multiple versions of the same film out in cinemas at the same time? Can we just get rid of this before it catches on? Oh, I don't know. I think it's cool. I don't think that a lot of people would feel like they had to do this. I think Spider-Verse is uniquely placed in that, like, there's in-universe, not reason, but it's kind of like, oh, okay, they're just trying to do a cute little gimmick. I don't think that it's sustainable for studios to ship multiple DCP copies for one film. It's also expensive. I don't think that it's a doable thing. What version are we going to get at home? That's the question. That's what I want to know. Yeah, good question. But yeah, great. You can hear me and Chris talk about that on a podcast at some point. Again, it's unedited, but it is recording. The last film I saw was No Hard Feelings. There was a preview screening of it. I went and I was curious because we talked about it before, how it had some icky underlying messaging, at least suggested by the trailer. Yeah. And I was kind of disappointed that the end result was, this isn't even doing enough to make me hate it for what it's trying to tell me. Oh, I see. I was all set to get really irritated by it because it's talking about being an introvert's a bad thing. You have to come out of your shell because that's the way normal people behave and all that. And the film does touch on that, but it doesn't really deliver any kind of thesis on it. It goes back and forth throughout and I just didn't find it good enough to even hate it, which was the most disappointing thing. I was kind of hoping it would double down on some problematic messaging just so I could point at it and say, this is doubling down on this crap. But no. No. It doesn't seem to commit. One thing I can say is Jennifer Lawrence is way better than stuff like this. I think that's the general consensus on this film. She is absolutely a good actor and we've seen her deliver great work. So what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, that's my viewing stuff such as it is. Quite light for me this month. Maybe I'll watch some other stuff later on. Who knows? Things are coming to an end, so I might have a bit more time in my schedule. Let's move on to plugs. What do you want to plug for the fine audience? Anywhere that you can be caught elsewhere. We are fundraising with Strange Horizons, which is the magazine that I volunteer for. We publish science fiction, fantasy, short stories and poetry. And I do the podcasts. Sometimes I'm overhauling the entire podcast 
system that we have right now. So do check out our annual Kickstarter. Just search for Strange Horizons 2024 and you will find it. We'll be putting out a call for a podcast producer soon and for some narrators for stories. So if that's something that you're keen on and or good at, please do check out the volunteer call, which will be on Strange Horizons very soon. To be clear, is a volunteer thing not paid work? It is a volunteer position. None of us get paid. The writers get paid who write the stories. That's what the fundraiser is for. But the staff of Strange Horizons don't get paid. We all just do this because we love science fiction. In case anybody comes to you begging for... For money, yes. I would also like money, to be honest. (laughs) The whole ethos of the magazine is that it's always been a volunteer thing. We are a platform for usually new and young writers to launch from. So it's important to us that the writers and the artists, because we also publish art, and the poets and the reviewers who do articles and reviews for us get paid, because that's how a lot of people get a start in their career. And for a lot of people on staff, it's CV building thing. Certainly for me, certainly for my predecessor, it's stuff that you can get into and you can do and you can build your skill set and you can make some pretty cool things. And for a lot of people, it's their way into editing and making a magazine and things like that. So there's a lot in it for everybody. And we do get nominated for Hugos and things, which is a nice plus. Someday maybe we'll even win one. We'll find out. What's it they say? It's just so nice to be nominated. It is nice to be nominated. The link to the Kickstarter will be in the show notes. Click and follow and give if you can, of course. Nobody put themselves into financial hardship, especially in these times. Or should I be saying put yourself into financial hardship? Which way? I don't know. Make your own choice on that one. My only plug, other than all the stuff I do here, is that I am appearing on We Are Starfleet, which is the We Made This Network's podcast that's currently covering Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I managed to be on five out of the first six episodes somehow, and only managed to host one of them. <laughs> I don't know how I managed that, but I did it. I only got the editing duty on one of them, so I'm going to consider that a win. Good bunch of guys over there. I'm the only UK based person on the team of four hosts the other three are american and two of them are in the same time zone so that makes scheduling a good laugh (laughs) trying to find the time although they tend to be up earlier in doing the recording and i tend to do okay out of it evening time uk is early-ish morning for them it's fine so check that out and check out the we made this network there's a ton of shows on there that you might find interesting there's pretty much something for everyone i think over there so that's what i'm up to outside of this because I don't give myself enough to do. That's why I don't have any time to watch TV. Yes. I'm busy talking about it. Clearly. <laughs> talking about all the stuff I don't watch. Anyway, let's move on to trailers. Let's start with a very, very short one. We have Priscilla, which is about Priscilla Presley. We had a film about Elvis last year. Was it last year? Sure. Yes, gosh. Now we have one about Priscilla. What do you think of this teaser? It is really short. But it is. There's a lot in it. There is a lot in it. I really like the montage, the first half of the trailer that had no dialogue and it was just really short snippets and a vibe. It's just a vibe. It's an A24 film, so we know it's going to be a vibe. And it's directed by Sofia Coppola. I have enjoyed her work previously. She tends to make some really female gaze films, very much focusing on a character and her perspective and her world. I think it looks pretty good and I'm really interested in it. I don't know very much about the story because Elvis Presley was never really a big part of my life growing up, musically or otherwise. I'd heard some of his songs, but because I grew up in Greece, a lot of that music didn't quite mesh for Greek people so much. So I'm excited to just 
hear this story because it is based on Priscilla's memoir. Other than Lilo and Stitch, of course, being your Elvis experience. Yes, absolutely. It's absolutely my main. Thank you for bringing it up and not me. Lilo and Stitch is the main way that I got exposed to Elvis and Elvis Presley music growing up. <laughs> but yeah, it seems like Priscilla's story is equally as interesting as Elvis's is. He was courting her when she was 14 or something like that, yeah. or possibly younger. And you may think, oh, that's disgusting. I don't know how old he was at the time, but he was a decent bit older. He was a full-grown adult, yes. It's one of those things that you have to think about in the context of the time, I think. Not that that makes it right, but it wasn't as taboo as you think it might be at the time. So it's one of those grey areas, I guess. So it'll be interesting to see her story and possibly how they portray all that as well, as in her beginning of relationship with him when she was so young. And the suggestion is certainly based on the trailer that It'll be a bit about how whirlwind and overwhelming the experience was for her. Yeah. Which could be an interesting perspective. Kaylee Spaney, I think that's pronounced her name, from mm-hmm. Pacific Rim Uprising is Priscilla. So that's her, mm-hmm. if you remember her from that film. I have erased that movie from my memory, to be fair, <laughs> but yes. That's all right. It's fine. It's another one that's fine. You can listen to us talk about it and see how we thought it was fine. One note I made is, it'd be really funny if Jacob Lordy ends up getting an Oscar for playing Elvis. When, oh yeah, <laughs> all of the Elvises, all of the Oscars. When the leading actor in an Elvis film didn't. That'd be fun. Just as a snub, I guess. Or they would call it a snub. Not that I really care about the Oscars. It would mildly amuse me for five minutes. Anyway, that's that. Let's move on to Challengers. Zendaya's next film. I don't even know if it'll be her next film. She's probably got five that are coming out <laughs> that we don't know about in the meantime. That's the way she works. I found this trailer quite interesting. Some of it seems to be about the trappings of fame and what it can do to young people that become famous very quickly and how that gets thrown into the mix. Although it does strangely look like it will be about the love triangle, but from the perspective of the two guys, which I thought was a bit strange considering the trailer very much makes it clear that she's the lead, or at least half the trailer does. So I'm not sure where it will fall down, really. When it actually comes out. I don't think that it entirely will focus on the guys or her. There's a lot going on. There's a lot about sports and what does it mean to lose a bright career because you get injured. The love triangle will play into that, of course. But I do think that it's about what could someone do who's very ambitious and suddenly their wings are clipped because of an injury. How does that affect them? Guadagnino has a tendency to make some really weird stuff. I think the first film of his that I saw was A Bigger Splash, and I loved it. And it's so weird. If you haven't seen A Bigger Splash, it's got Tilda Swinton, Ray Fiennes, Dakota Fanning. It's billed as a, oh, look, it's all these old friends. They're gathering in this Italian mansion for a holiday. And then murder. The tonal whiplash is unreal. It's very, very good. And then there's Call Me By Your Name, which is ostensibly a sweet romantic gay movie. And then there's Bones and All, which is about cannibals. But it's a romantic movie, don't question it. And of course, the Suspiria remake. I think Guadagnino makes some really great weird shit. I'm super here for this. I think the entire court community gasped when this trailer dropped. All of my friends on Twitter were like, you mean I have to wait until September? (laughs) I think it's going to be one of those great movies of the award season or early award season, I guess. Definitely looking forward to it. It seems like the threesome scene broke the internet, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think everyone was like, uh... Lots of Tom Holland looking on memes (laughs) were created as a result of that. The trailer suggests that the film takes place over maybe not a long period of time, but a long-ish period of time. 
Yes. It's, it's one of those things because the day looks so young all the time. Yeah, how will they convey that she's aged? Yeah, it's it's the struggle. Yeah, this is years later, but she still looks about 14 somehow. Yeah, well, I mean, someday she will be older and I don't know, she won't look 12 forever. Maybe she will. Look at Tom Holland. <laughs> Tom Holland, who is the same age as Haley Steinfeld and Florence Pugh, and they're playing wildly different ages across the MCU. Yeah. So yeah, I'm interested in this based on what I've seen. I really like Zendaya. It struck me slightly Euphoria-esque in a way, although I haven't seen Euphoria, but you hear about how difficult that was for everybody in it to film and things like that, and it seems like this might be along the same lines. I don't know. I think there's less drugs in this, but who's to say? You never know. She could be a famous prodigy who gets into drugs very quickly into the film, you don't know. Especially after her injury. Addicted to painkillers or something. But interesting nonetheless. Craven the Hunter is up next. Something that's far less interesting. (laughs) It's another, I think the collective term for these movies is still called spum which is crazy it's an r-rated spider-man adjacent movie i feel like aaron taylor johnson has the physique but his performance seems really disinterested the thing is the craven character isn't one of my favorites in spider-man comics anyway so if you tell a story about craven and spider-man isn't in it it's going to be very hard to capture my interest and it just looks kind of generic as well. I don't think there's anything about it that necessarily stands out. Yes, the thing that stood out to me was, Russell Crowe, what are you doing to your career and also generally? It's another accent to add to his collection. It's upsetting to me, actually, that he's just devolved into whatever this is, which was also <laughs> in Thor, Love and Thunder. And what was that? The Pope's Exorcist? You're better than this? We know you're better than this? I have to say, concept-wise, Craven, I wasn't really aware of him as a character before, but conceptually, he's very interesting. And this just does not inspire. I kind of resent all of this Morbius-esque, we're just going to make this movie about this villain, and we're going to try and humanize them, but also there are monsters. I just don't know what you want from this. I don't think they figured out exactly how to center an anti-hero or to make a villain more sympathetic. There's this push and pull between making them look like a victim or they're the misunderstood ones. But then it's like, no, 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 they're still horrendous. If this turns out to be another Morbius level disaster, I've had enough already. Although wouldn't you take a hundred of these for every one Spider-Verse? Isn't that kind of worth it? Is that the the trade-off we're making here? Is that what it is? Kind of. Well, for better or for worse, you wouldn't get these kinds of films in the MCU, and you certainly wouldn't get a Spider-Verse film made by Disney, I don't think. Spider-Verse, no. But these, I feel like nobody asked for them. Nobody did. Morbius, I think, was a special level of hell. <laughs> And the meme absurdism of trying to make Sony think that we want it and then not wanting it aggressively and making them lose money was very funny to me. And I'll give the internet that, but we still didn't want this. It's a waste of effort. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of everybody's time collectively, makers and watchers. You just not... Sell those rights back or something. Do yourself a favor. Make something else. This is stupid. The thing about Russell Crowe, though, he has played Superman's dad, Hercules' dad, and now Craven's dad. Oh. He's really adding up these comic book dads. Maybe that's what he's trying to do. Yeah. Do you know what? I hadn't considered the Hercules thing, but yeah, you are correct. When it's not that good, does it make a difference? Eh, 
I think he was good in Superman, actually. He was very good as Jor-El. He was okay in Superman, yes. I had problems with that movie otherwise, but he was okay. It's the accents that bother me. It's the descent into caricature, cartoonish, Eastern European, you know. As partly Eastern European myself, I'm just like, mate, this is offensive. I take offense. And I took offense at his Greek accent in Love and Thunder. He's better than this, and it upsets me, that's all. Although maybe with this, he's the only one that knows what film he's in. Maybe, yeah. (laughs) There's always that possibility. Because sometimes you get that when you watch a film and you think, only one actor knows what they're doing here. And it's this guy. (laughs) They're treating the material with everything it deserves. And it's great because they stand out by doing so. Arnie in Batman and Robin, for example. He's the only one having fun while making that film. And there's other examples that aren't coming immediately to mind. Looks like we'll be getting a version of the rhino in this, whatever. Yeah, it does not inspire confidence. He hunts animals, so we'll use the rhino. The chameleon is in the trailer very briefly as his brother. Aaron Taylor-Johnson, maybe... Give some passion into your line delivery. Just a little bit. Because if you're not interested, then I'm not interested. I mean, I'm still not interested, even if you are, but I'm even less interested. So yeah, Craven, not a character I especially love in Spider-Man stories. So put him in a story that doesn't have Spider-Man in it. Then what have you got? I don't know. But at least they're not pretending that Spider-Man might be in it like they did with Morbius. So that's an advantage in some way. Because... Morbius just flat out lied in its marketing. Look at all the Spider-Man references, none of which appeared in the actual final film. All background elements that you can just scrub out. Let's move on to Fear the Night, a home invasion thriller starring Maggie Q. I think it looks like it could be a decent example of this. I really like Maggie Q when she does these kinds of things, martial arts stuff. It's a cool setup. Seems like it'll be a lot of fun. I think I'll have fun with this. I couldn't care less, to be honest. I saw this trailer and I was bored halfway through. Not for me. The minute it all started off in the store and these guys are threatening and stuff, I was like, hmm, violence against women. How about we don't? And then it's violence against women, the movie. I just don't want this. No, thank you. I'm all right. Thanks. Fair enough. I feel like there's a few trailers within the stuff we're talking about today. Ugh. And this was the first one. Well, I'm going to guess that this next one will be the second one. Heart of Stone. Another Gal Gadot Netflix action thing. She goes to an overexposed Middle Eastern location because apparently all these films need to have this. There's snow in it. There's a lot of CGI. It says from the producers of Mission Impossible, which should be embarrassing to admit for the producers of Mission Impossible (laughs) because everything looks fake. There's nothing about this that looks real. The agency disavows her at one point that she works for. My question is, in my notes, did an AI write this? Did an AI direct it? Because it really looks like it. It looks like nothing. Very much, 100% looks like nothing. It did not inspire me to watch it or check it out or anything. Set from the producers of Mission Impossible and The Old Guard. I enjoyed The Old Guard, so don't drag it into the mud with this. <laughs> I recognized a couple of the locations are actually in Iceland, where I've been before. So it was like, oh, that's nice, but why? <laughs> <laughs> and maybe even someone went there, or maybe they didn't. You'll never know. Oh, they probably did. But just a lot of inane, pointless action sequences that I'm sure are held together by a very loose thread of plot. It's the sort of thing that you just put on on the Wednesday night because you're tired and you want to watch things blow up, I guess. But it's the same argument that I made earlier with How I Met Your Father. There's other things that you could do with your time that are better than even putting this on mindlessly. There's better mindless action 
that you could put on that isn't whatever this is. Absolute bottom of the barrel, scraping for any kind of point or anything. Just the sad state of affairs, I guess. I can't believe that Netflix is sinking their money into things like this. Well, they're well known for algorithmically generating their content. Yeah. People want mindless action. Here's a mindless action movie. Or... Viewing figures suggest that people like Gal Gadot and they like action movies that have Middle Eastern locations or snow in them or whatever. And they like it when they go rogue or the agency betrays them or whatever. You know, all these things. Let's throw these elements in a blender and suddenly we have a film. And somehow we're making it. What was the one she was in with The Rock and Ryan Reynolds that they threw a lot of money at? Is it Red? Oh, Red, yeah, something. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was thrown together as a, this is the most expensive thing we've ever made and we've thrown so much into it. Well done. <laughs> the end result is, wow, this sucks. At least as far as people have said, I've never That's watched it. That's the thing you're bragging about, being the most expensive. It's okay. Take your money back. <laughs> also, where did the money go? Because I've seen the trailer and it doesn't look very good. I think it all went to paying Ryan Reynolds and people like that, to be honest. And The Rock. The Rock commands a lot of money, despite the fact that he's in flop after flop these days. But that's another story. And possibly another story that we'll talk about later. Let's move on to another Netflix thing that they're spending a lot of money in. Rebel Moon. There's a featurette, or as I'm calling it, Zack Snyder's Star Wars. <laughs> because if you read the synopsis, it's essentially Star Wars. But, but Zack Snyder. Zack yes. Snyder tinge. <laughs> he seems up for it. It seems like something that he's really excited about. Generally, when people are passionate about projects that they make, that suggests they might be worth something when it finally comes out. It's not a lot to go on. There was footage shown at the end that looks okay, but I really hope it's not the final render because it doesn't look that good. So we'll see. I'm kind of interested in this. Just in terms of CG, yeah. It's interesting. And I'm always here for someone who's super passionate about something they've wanted to make for like 20 years. And then it finally is time and they're making the thing. And it's like, yay, I'm finally making the movie I've been thinking about for 20 years. <coughs> James Cameron. <coughs> <laughs> And Zack Snyder's one of those people. I'm going to get Snyder Cut fans coming at me now, but I don't think he's that good a filmmaker, but he's very passionate and I love his passion. So yes, you make your Star Wars fan fiction copycat movie that you've wanted to make for 20 years because you saw Star Wars and you wanted to make a Star Wars movie. And you were once going to make a Star Wars movie and now you're making this. That's a separate thing, right? He's wanted to make this for 20 years. So irrespective of him almost making a Star Wars movie or whatever, this has been in his brain for a very long time. I think in particular what he's not very good at is story. <laughs> so I'm not holding my breath about this making any sort of sense or being anything other than superficially dramatic. There's going to be probably needle drops. There's going to be a soundtrack that's very personal and very unique and all of those things. But the substance remains to be seen. I don't know about it. It's cool to hear some of these actors in the featurette talk about the project being like, this was really fun to do, or it was really challenging, and I really wanted to work with Zach and things like that. All right, great. Y'all go have fun. We'll probably watch it. Three stars, maybe. I'm just not holding my breath about any of it because Zack Snyder, bless his heart is not a very good storyteller, at least in my opinion. And it's split into two parts already. Oh, there's that too. I have issues. Why don't you make one thing first and then we'll see. Seriously, I'm of two minds about this. If it's going to take you six hours to tell this story, or five hours, or however long this takes, I suppose knowing it in advance as the consumer 
is probably better because then you're setting yourself up, you know what your expectations are about it. Can you expect a full narrative within part one? My opinion is that you should, but Dune had other opinions, so I don't know. I don't know what these people think sometimes of what a part one should look like. I still think a movie should be a full movie and have an arc within it and not need another three-hour movie for that first movie to make sense. It's a big ask to make of people, and narratively, it just doesn't feel satisfying. So I wonder what Zack is going to do here. I'm told that when given the full freedom to do things, that his stuff tends to ring better than when he's had a lot of studio interference. That being said, I really didn't like Sucker Punch. I thought it was superficial and kind of nothing. Nothing with needle drops and strong female characters, TM. So I don't know that splitting a movie into two parts is necessarily going to make any of this better for it. Sometimes less is more. Sometimes being able to make a movie and finish your story is a hallmark of skill for a screenwriter and director. And if you can't do it, especially if it's not based on something, because at least Dune has 15 books that they're trying to find elements of world building and plot and story and weave it all into a tapestry that takes two movies to show us. This is new. This is just Star Wars fan fiction from the mind of Zack Snyder. Do you really need two <laughs> movies? I don't know, man. I just don't know. Where do you fall in the Spider-Verse spectrum then, with that being a part one, which ended up surprising a lot of the audience I was in, including Chris. He forgot. I was surprised. I didn't know. I forgot entirely. I don't know if I was aware of it. Towards the end of the movie, I was like, there's no time for them to wrap this up. What's happening? Where are they going? And then it says on the screen that there's going to be a part two. And I was like, oh, so that's what they're doing. I feel like Spider-Verse does have most of a complete story arc in it. It's just that they started another story arc to make the cliffhanger at the end. And if they hadn't, and they just left it, there is a satisfactory moment of realization, and there's character growth, and there's conflict, and there's resolution. There's a lot of things going on that I think feel complete within Spider-Verse. And yes, there are still a lot of open-ended things that I'm sure will take a full movie to close all of that together and give us explanations and that sort of thing. I think it did it better than Dune. Dune, I swear to God, I, I spent two and a half hours being like, what's happening? Who are these people? Am I supposed to like them? I don't. I don't know who any of them are. Oh, half of them are dead? I kind of don't care. Boom, the movie's finished, but there's going to be part two. And I'm like, oh, so it felt unsatisfactory because it's not finished. It's half a movie. And it very much feels like half a movie. So, like I said, if you can do the two parts and each movie can still feel complete within itself, I think that's fine. It's the same thing as the Star Wars trilogy or whatever. It's all a part of a bigger narrative, but each individual movie within it still is its own thing. At least has a story. It has a beginning, middle, and end. And yes, there's more to the story. It's not finishing, but you can have a complete emotional experience while watching it. Let's not forget that's what storytelling is. I feel like there's a lot of experimentation with the medium and being like, we're just going to split it into whatever. You forget why people enjoy stories in the first place, which is to go through a journey. And if you take me on half a car ride and then you 
open the door and you say, all right, I'm going to pick you back up tomorrow. That's not a journey. You've just dropped me off in the middle of nowhere. And I'm not happy about it. Back to the Future is a good example for me of exactly. a two-part thing that feels like two distinct holes. So Back to the Future 2, it finishes what it's trying to do and then gives you the cliffhanger that starts the thing that they're going to do next. That's a successful one. I would say Spider-Verse is successful as well. June, yeah, it just kind of stops somewhere, which is less than satisfying. And this, I don't know. In terms of Zack Snyder, I think if you put him in front of a good script, he'll make that look incredible. If you don't let him write it himself. <laughs> I thought Watchmen was very good. I think he had a hand in writing that. I really liked his adaptation of that. And Dawn of the Dead is what put him on the map for a lot of people as well. He did a really good job with that. His other zombie film, not so much. That was also on Netflix. I thought that was pretty dire. This, I don't know. I'm interested to see what kind of world he'll build. It seems like he has a bit of a wacky mind and that could he be does, yeah. interesting to look at. So we'll see. We'll probably see a full trailer before too long. It looks like they're really getting to a point where it's viewable, at least to some degree. So we'll find out sooner rather than later, probably. Let's move on to Pixar. Their next thing, Elio. This is a rare thing where I watch a Pixar trailer and it doesn't grab me in any way. Yeah, same. I wasn't sure what it was getting at because normally... You watch a Pixar trailer and you see, this is what this is about. This is what it's saying about the world. This is what it's saying about people. But what's this saying about anything? Nothing, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. Just a cosmic misunderstanding and a bit of an outer space romp, I guess. A kid mistaken for the leader of Earth. It's funny, maybe. But I don't know. What are they getting at here? Yeah, I agree with that. It kind of feels like they've been on a decline of late because they were the undisputed king of 3D animated anything. If Pixar was making a movie, you knew it would be the best thing that year. And Soul was really good. And then Luca was pretty good. But then Lightyear was kind of whatever. I thought Lightyear was okay, actually. quite liked it. Ah, but it was kind of whatever, though. If they never made it, it just doesn't matter. It's okay. But in the grand scheme of things, was it remotely the best thing that year? No. No. Nowhere near. Take it out of the rotation and you've not really changed anything. Luca, too, a little bit, to be fair. I don't know that it made that much of a, pardon my pun, splash. And part of it is perhaps because it ought to have had a theatrical release and it didn't because gestures at the world. So... I don't know what they're going through right now. Elemental seems to also not be great, apparently, or to just kind of be average. And it's just a little sad. It feels like they're losing the edge that they always used to have. I think Turning Red was great. Speaking of things that should have had a theatrical release. Exactly. And since then, it's almost like, hey, we've kept busy, I guess. Either waiting for the world to kind of reset or waiting for Disney to sort out their life because Disney's going through a weird moment of overproducing and overdoing it. There's some course correction that I think Disney needs to do, and I don't know how much that affects Pixar's workload and their choices and what projects they decide to put their efforts behind. But yeah, this one just kind of feels like it's going to be fine, but I don't know that it's going to rock my world the way that Pixar movies used to. Yeah, it seems like Disney are picking on Pixar in a way. Yeah, a little bit. Not throwing them the same kind of resources that they need in order to achieve that greatness that we know that they're capable of because we've seen them do it so many times. Yeah. They were passed over for theatrical releases even when they could have had them. Yeah. Whereas Disney animated films were coming out in the cinemas. So it almost feels like they've 
accidentally or intentionally trained audiences to just wait for streaming for these kinds of things because they'll be on soon enough if not the same day kind of thing and they don't seem to be throwing so much weight behind it as well even elemental its marketing hasn't been huge Mm. i could have saw it last week actually because there was a secret screening at cineworld that turned out to be that but i wasn't available so that was a shame i didn't get to see that but i'll watch it when it comes out it's not something i felt really gutted to have missed but at the same time i would quite like to see it but yeah, Elemental might be a kind of riff on what we've seen before. It's like Zootopia or Inside Out, those yeah. kinds of things. They're treading the similar ground. And with this one, I don't know what they're getting at, really. Maybe another trailer will change my mind if they give a bit more of a sense of what to expect. I guess we'll find out. The next thing we have, though, is another Pixar thing. Very short trailer for the short that will be accompanying Elemental, which is Carl's Date. Seems like in his old age, he wants to get himself back out there and he's really nervous about it. And that's what we take from this trailer. Looks like it would be fun, I guess, as a continuation of the Up universe. Yeah, although it's a missed opportunity for what they used to do, which is have original shorts in front of Pixar movies, which was a great opportunity for developing animators to be in charge of a project. It was a great opportunity for new and exciting, fun short stories to be told. Play with something for six minutes or whatever long it is. Yeah, and it was kind of a tradition, too. You would go to a Pixar movie and know that there would be a fun, cute little thing that you couldn't see anywhere else because it's just here. And I feel like some of those have made quite an impact on their own, like that moon one with the little boy and his grandfather picking up stars from the moon and sweeping it so that they could make the phases. I think it was called La Luna. And then Bao, about a mom kind of having a tough time letting go of her son who's growing up. So many that I remember and I've really enjoyed and it was part of looking forward to go see a Pixar movie in the cinemas. And now it's just, here's another sequel? A short movie that's a sequel? God, everything's just the Disney formula now, isn't it? If it's new, we are less interested in it. It has to be old IP because that's what we do here. Down with creativity and imagination. A little bit, but that's what you're known for. And yes, I know you get an entire new feature out of this, sure, but I think it just belies a deeper problem within current culture, which is a little bit, we're too scared to dip the toe or what's something that we can make that's going to guarantee results. It's going to guarantee engagement. People are going to talk about the up short because they loved up. And then also you've just squashed something else from happening probably and i don't love the old man from up that much also the fact that the short gets a trailer it's almost like come and see elemental because you'll also see this yeah (laughs) oh it's a trailer for a six minute movie (laughs) crazy as opposed to go see elemental and you'll see something weird and fun in front of it but it looks okay i might enjoy it i'll find out when i go to see elemental i guess Mm. anyway moving on we have poor things which is a weird Frankenstein story, essentially. Yeah. So what do you think of this? I'm not hugely into this guy's body of work. I've seen The Lobster and it was too weird for me. And I think yeah. this is probably going to be too weird for me again. It probably will be. Yorgos Lanthimos is a countryman of mine. I'm of two minds about his body of work. Most of it is weird, but in a way that I find hard to describe to non-Greeks. It's just a sense of, I have the Greek word stuck in my head and it's not, really translatable. There's a sense that he thinks very highly of his intellect and his art. And I 
don't care. <laughs> there should be room for people to make weird things like this. What separates Yorgos Lanthimos from Luca Guadagnino? I think they're of a similar make, of filmmakers who had full careers in their home country and then broke out into the mainstream Hollywood scene and now get to make movies with Emma Stone or Timothy Chalamet. It's fine. I just don't necessarily love, and pardon my swear, his bullshit. I just don't. I hated The Lobster with everything I have. I have not seen The Favourite. Not seen that either. I'm told it's good, and I'm told that it's much more palatable, like, less weird. The particular weirdness of The Lobster and of the biggest Greek film he made before he broke out into Hollywood mainstream, which was Dogtooth, which was horrendous, kind of, but it got hailed as super artsy, and I think it got into Cannes Festival, and that's how people noticed him. It's a very particular kind of Greek privileged, I don't think this man's ever been told no in his <laughs> life. I think he grew up just being praised for how super talented and smart and all of these things he is. And so now he kind of carries that kind of inflated, serious look at, mm, I'm an artist. So I'm kind of negatively biased towards this. I also really like Frankenstein, the actual Frankenstein. This is based on, I think, a novel that is already a take on Frankenstein, if you will. So it's fine, and knowing of some production history things about it, it's certainly going to look interesting. That being said, I am so not holding my breath on liking it. I probably will see this because my husband is working on it, or at least tangentially involved, so I want to support my family, but if I could never see a Lanthimos movie again, I would abstain. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably also one of those things where I'm happy that a Greek person is doing well in the mainstream. I'm always happy for any Greek who breaks out of the Greek bubble, because there is a bubble. If Lanthimos had stayed in Greece, he would have been a huge fish in the smallest pond ever. So the fact that he can go out there and make a literal splash in the international scene and people love working with him and I hear he's a great guy, lovely, great, love that for him, love that for any person from a non-Anglophone country who makes it with a capital M. But I don't have to like his work. And so far from what I've seen, I have not. So eh, you go do it, my guy. I'm going to sit this one out if I can. <laughs> I'll be setting this out. You can call me a man of simple tastes all you want. But <laughs> that's it. I feel like this is the one that film Twitter snobs will jump on as their favourite thing ever. Probably. It feels like one of those kinds of movies that we'll just never stop hearing about from certain corners of the internet. And fair enough, if you love it, go nuts. Here's something that no one will love, probably. Hidden Strike, John Cena and Jackie Chan working together. It's kind of like Rush Hour, but it looks really bad. Oh, good God. This trailer is painful. It's just painful <laughs> to watch. It hurt me. It was all those very obvious beat jokes that they wrote into the movie for the trailer. I think we've seen everything there is to see in this movie within this two-minute clip. I'm good. I'm fine. I don't think I need to touch this ever. It looks visually worse than Heart of Stone somehow. I agree with that, yes. It's very dark. I think there's a tendency 
recently at least, if either the VFX have not had enough time or they're just trying to cover up filming blunders, they just make everything super dark and hope you won't notice. If you can't see it, it doesn't look bad. Yeah, and I think this is that. The trailer is just so dark, everything's shadows and a little bit of light just so you think you can see something and terrible jokes. They think this is funny because I don't think it's funny at all. I didn't laugh. It was just cringe the entire time. So I don't know who this movie is for, really. That's the other question. Who's your target audience? Because it should probably be people our age, maybe our parents' age. But I don't think anyone wants to go see this. So what is it? Who's it for? What are John Cena and Jackie Chan doing here? They're both so much better than this. Genuinely, the money is what they're doing here. Oh, yes. But they could make money somewhere else. Yeah. It's hilarious that the trailer says, from the director of Need for Speed and Expendables 4, as if that's a selling point. Oh, man, right? Oh, good. Show me one person that liked Need for Speed. They will be out there, but still show me. No one remembers it, surely. No one thinks, well, that's not true. Every bad film is someone's favourite film. That's just the way it is. Or every film is someone's favourite film. But. I can't imagine many people just sit of an evening and think, you know what, I'm going to stick on Need for Speed for the 19th time because I love that movie. Statistically, there is someone. Yeah, but that's not someone I really want to meet, to be honest. But The Expendables 4, well, we can move on to that. Or Expend for Bulls. For Bulls. Because <laughs> they're doing that. Which, in fairness, it could be a meta joke as a throwback, but I don't think it's a joke. I really like the first two Expendables movies, particularly the second one. I think getting Arnie, Bruce Willis and Stallone together in an action scene was inspired and I had a lot of fun with it. I like the concept of the old guys do it best and we're going to make a film out of it or a couple of films out of it. But we're in a bit of a landscape where old guys are coming back to do stuff all the time. Michael Keaton in The Flash, for example. It's not a novelty anymore. Yeah. And it seems that this is actually moving away from it as well. And it seems to be a bit more about let's bring in some younger action people or maybe slightly younger action people, maybe people that were popular after the era of action heroes that Stallone belongs to and things. But nothing about this really grabbed me. Although one thing I'll say is when the trailer started, I assumed that Megan Fox was playing Statham's daughter. And then I learned later that she most definitely was not. Unless it's going to get really edgy, that's definitely not the case. It's a shame. I didn't like the third Expendables movie, and this just seems like another one of, you probably shouldn't have made this. Yeah. You probably should have left it after two, because that was everything the concept needed to be, and you didn't need to keep going with it. I think I've seen maybe the first Expendables, because I worked at Odeon at the time, so I got to see all the things for free. It was funny and it was fun and the concept of people coming back was novel and it was oh they got all these people together all the big action stars that's awesome but ever since then it's been a little painful to watch them just churn these out i don't know that many people who are that pumped for this one all right we get it you brought them back again great you brought some of them back again. Oh, Megan Fox is in this one. Okay, great. It leaves me cold, personally. It's certainly not one for me. Arnie's too busy making bad Netflix TV shows to be in this. <laughs> and whatever else he's planning to do. It just feels like a shadow of itself. Not that it was a great concept to begin with. I think it was okay. And I think the second one was pretty much everything you needed from it. It brought them all together. They all got to have a little bit of fun. And then, yeah, let's just leave it at that. Let's not make two more of these bloody things. But they did it. And we'll see how it goes. Megan Fox is a strange choice to be in this, but yeah. she's spreading her wings, I suppose, into different things these days, isn't she? She's 
appearing in some projects you might not expect from her. Is this one of them? May she find happiness in her career. I know she's been exploited for a lot of her younger years, so happy that she's back in the game, and I hope she's having fun and is being treated well. But yeah, a lot of the things on this list, like I said, this leaves me super cold. I do not care about it. It's such a shame that so much human energy and effort and money is going into this. There's, I'm sure much better things they could all be doing with their time. I'm sure. Speaking of better things that people could be doing with their time, the outlaws. With a hyphen between <laughs> out and laws. <laughs> That's how clever they're trying to be. Do you know what? I didn't hate this trailer. Okay. I didn't hate it. I don't think the movie's going to be good. I think the movie's going to be pants. Let's be clear. What's his face from Pitch Perfect? Adam Devine? Yes, thank you. Adam Devine. My perception of him has been coloured since I saw the film when we first met, where he was in a bit of a time loop thing, where he was uh-huh. trying to woo Alexandra Daddario. I call the film Time Rapist. Oh, no. So Ooh. every time I see him, I'm thinking, you, you're such a creep. Oh, I see. I just think of him as Bumper from Pitch Perfect. Was he a creep? Um, no, he's kind of like a egomaniac acapella singer who thinks too highly of himself and then goes on The Voice. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. I don't think he's particularly funny. He's not the worst, I guess. But also, he always, I think, just plays himself. One of those actors that has mannerisms and stuff that are always the same. And it doesn't matter what characters they play. It it all just comes out sounding the same. What I do like in this, though, is Piers Brosnan. (laughs) That's an evil father-in-law bank robber person. With an Irish accent for the first time I think I've ever heard. (laughs) Is it the first time? It's the first time I've heard, Hmm. I think. I can't think of any other film I've seen him where he actually does an Irish accent. I don't know. Try to think about it. Without it being an accident, where he accidentally slips into it because he's Irish. (laughs) It's fun. He seems like he's having fun. I didn't hate the trailer, but if I don't watch this movie, I'll be okay. I think I get it. One of my notes is the quote, you look like James Bond, and all I put after it was, ha Which one? The fifth one. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, I like the fifth one. It's funny because... Because he was the fifth one? Yeah, that's the joke. Absolutely. I liked him as James Bond is the thing. I think he was robbed by being in bad movies because I think he makes a good James Bond. But them's the breaks, Pierce Brosnan. At least you got Mamma Mia. His ratio was pretty similar to other Bond actors, to be fair. He was in two really good ones and then some not so good ones. He did okay. I think it depends on who you talk to. I think a lot of people disliked everything except Goldeneye. I think Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies are good. The others, not so much. Nina Dobrev's in this as well. Looks like she's just there to get captured. So yay her for her work. Yeah, looks like she's there to be a pretty girl. They needed a pretty girl for this. So they were like, hey, are you done with the Vampire Diaries? Yes. All right, cool. (laughs) And that, what was it called? Love Hard, that Christmas-ish movie. Oh, yeah. I thought it was okay, actually. Horribly Mm. predictable, but it was okay. I think she's actually pretty good as well. I think she is getting thrown into a lot of projects where it'll take work where I can get it attitude that she maybe has. Like you always talk about the Teen Wolf actresses that left to pursue movie careers. Maybe her star didn't rise in the way that she wanted to after the Vampire Diaries, which means she turns up in tripe like this, where she could be doing better. Yeah, I think that's entirely the case. The Vampire Diaries was huge in its time, especially in the early days, but the landscape has shifted so much in genre TV and film that it just didn't quite work out the way she probably wanted it to. So, yeah, it's a bummer. Paul Wesley's Captain Kirk, and she's this. Yeah. 
What a difference. Mm -hmm. Garbage. But it might be entertaining garbage to some. Probably not to me, though. I cannot shake the perception I have of Adam Devine. That's very much a darkness I'm bringing in with me because of that stupid mm -hmm. film with Alexander Daddario. It really annoyed me, that film, when I sat and watched it. Yeah, that sounds horrendous. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend watching it. But basically, he goes back in time to the night he met her and tries different ways to woo her. Right. And succeeds sometimes. The message is he was pursuing the wrong woman all along. There was someone else that he was failing to notice. Right. So he's going to ruin two women's lives, apparently, yeah. in that movie. Nonsense. So that's what I think of whenever I see him. And I don't think I'll be able to get past that. But considering he's going to turn up in trash like this, doesn't seem like it's going to be a huge problem. <laughs> True. Let's move on to stuff that might be a little bit more interesting. The Beanie Bubble. Did you collect Beanie Babies when they were the hugest thing in the world in the early 90s? Mid-90s? I don't think they made it to Greece. Okay. So no, when I heard of Beanie Babies, I thought people meant the Cabbage Patch Kids because those made it to Greece. They were actually baby dolls that came in various colors and outfits and whatever, and you would collect all of them. But the animals and stuff? No, definitely not. This is going to be a very interesting film. There's been a few films about corporate stories lately. The Tetris film, an air about Nike and the Air Jordans. There's just been all these churned out corporate movies. But this at least seems to be a little more about the craze of it all as well, not just the company. I'm not necessarily inspired by all these corporate, ooh, yay, all these people making money. Look at them. Aren't they great? <laughs> I'm okay, thanks. The trick of it is to make the story interesting. And I felt like Tetris didn't quite accomplish that, even though the story behind Tetris is in itself very interesting. If you just watch a yeah. documentary about it, you'll be like, did this really happen? This is insane. Yeah, absolutely. I think a documentary would have been better. <laughs> well, there's one on a gaming YouTube channel. I'll put it in the show notes. I can't remember the name mm -hmm. of the channel, but it's very good. It was how I knew the story before I watched the film. When I was actually watching it, I found myself just not caring about whether Taron Egerton gets the rights to distribute Tetris over the other people that get the rights or want the rights. And they put in all the tropes in order to humanise the Taron Egerton character, he's the underdog, he has a family to support, all this stuff. He deserves this, whereas this guy, he's huge and has money and whatever. So he's the villain, because he has to be, because you need a hero and a villain. I haven't seen Air, but I heard it was very good. But that's directed by Ben Affleck, who is very good as a director. He is a pretty decent director, absolutely. Whereas this, I don't know, is there a story here? Or is it just someone came up with an idea that caught on and made them a ton of money? Which in itself is not an interesting idea. Yeah. It depends how they present it. But it looks like they're trying to do some certainly visually memorable stuff. The pink costumes and all this stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of really bright colour and trying to tell a story that way too. It definitely looks to be interesting. I love Elizabeth Banks in anything. Zach Galifianakis looks unrecognisable. I think it's going to be a fun watch at the very least. I don't know if it's going to be top five movies of the year or whatever, but certainly looks to be an interesting couple of hours whenever that comes out. Yeah, it's an Apple TV Plus thing, so it's probably designed to be kind of diverting for a little while and then fall off the map in some way. A bit like Tetris. No one really talks about that now. Don't think it made a big splash at the time either. This next one, though, I like the look of this one a lot more. Dumb Money. That's about the expecting GameStop to fail story that I didn't know anything about until I watched this trailer. But it seems interesting. It reminds me of things like The Big Short, and it looks like it's adopting some of that style. Maybe not in the same way, but to some degree. And I really like the contrast in the trailer. I thought they really effectively did it, where it was the difference between a relatively small amount of money making a huge difference to one person, and then massive amount of money making a difference to another person. How much did we make? Five million. How much did we lose? A billion. How much did we make yesterday? Another five million, or ten million, or whatever it was. 
I like that as a contrast. Yeah. It's the idea of these degrees of wealth and how people might perceive wealth differently. So that looks like that could be part of it. But it's also the problem of just profiting off other people's misery and failure as well. It's a very interesting story of our times. The little man kind of gaming the system the way that rich people tend to do because they're the ones who usually profit off of the everyday person's loss at the stock market so there's something very robin hoody very david and goliath about some guy out of a fluke taking on hedge fund managers and making them lose billions it was a very fun story while that was happening it was just completely out of nowhere and it dominated the news cycle and i couldn't believe that people were doing this wow we should have invested in gamestop i guess see i didn't remember it at all Oh, really? Oh, man, this was everything when this was happening. That's not even that long ago. A couple of years? Not even that long ago. I remember being in the U.S. on holiday when some of that was unfolding. So not that long ago. Paul Dano is great in anything he's ever in. I'm really excited about this. I think it probably will have the right attitude, which is just all of this is truly ridiculous. The, you know, stock market and hedge funds and shorting stocks. It's the endless cycle of somebody comes up with a thing where it's like, I'm winning big time, come with me. But what they don't tell you is that in order for that to win, somebody else has to lose big time. And it's kind of about what is okay. Those hedge fund people, that's their life. They do this for a living. So it does feel like justice to turn the game around on them, doesn't it? But at the same time, is it okay that the system even exists in the first place? Enough for it to be taken advantage of routinely. That's the problem with late stage capitalism, isn't it? It's designed so that some people win and, and others suffer quite massively. Yeah, it's just broken. It's built on people's suffering. It's not just one-off, oh, this thing happened the one time. But we get a funny movie out of it. Yeah, it looks like the better of the two these types of movies that are on this list, for me anyway. But we'll see. We'll see yeah. what happens when it actually comes out. Next up is Sympathy for the Devil, which is Crazy Nick Cage possibly playing actually the devil. So that looks like it will just be fun at face value. I don't know if it will actually be any good. I don't think he's the devil, actually. Because, nah. yeah, I thought so, too. In the first minute or so of the trailer, I was like, oh, okay, we go from playing Dracula to playing the devil. Bring it on. <laughs> yes, great. But I think towards the end, it kind of alludes to them knowing each other from the past and him having, oh, I dyed my hair so that I can be fancy for you or whatever. I feel like there's going to be a reveal that's not supernatural and therefore much less interesting. But we'll find out. It is a fun trailer, though. Crazy Nick Cage. Eh, you know, on brand Nick Cage. <laughs> you cannot go wrong with Crazy Nick Cage. Mm -hmm. Well, you can, but... It's harder to go wrong. And at least you'll come out of it thinking, well, at least I got to see him go nuts for a minute or two. And that makes it worthwhile to some degree. This next one I have no input on because I didn't watch season one. It's another one of those things that I wanted to watch but I haven't watched yet. Good Omens season two. You have watched season one. What do you think of the trailer for season two? I did watch season one. I thought it was great and very fun. I've not read the books, so the show is all I've known. But I do know that where the book ends is where season one ends. Okay. So this is new. And I think that Neil Gaiman's had a hand in writing it. Tarek Pratchett, of course, has not because he's no longer with us. So it's one of those things where can you improve and or continue on something that's finished 
and that's good. Is it hubris to try and continue with a sequel, especially when one of the creators is dead? Who's to say? It does look like, spiritually at least, it's very much in the same lane, and it does look like it's going to be quite fun. They are flying blind, or at least creating new things, so it remains to be seen if it's going to be any good, especially in comparison to or in addition to season one. But yeah, it looks like it's going to be a good time. Well, that's good enough for me, having not seen season mm-hmm. one. I do want to see it, though. I do like David Tennant, and it seems that him and Martin Sheen had a lot of fun making that. So much so that they appear in something else together. Oh, it's great. Oh, my goodness. It's so much fun. It's a great, fun ride. It's very British. <laughs> it took the internet by absolute storm when season one came out. So much so that all of these people who were fans of the books, and I just didn't know that there was just a whole world of people who loved Good Omen so much. <laughs> it's a really, really good time. Definitely recommend. Cool. One of these days. Next up is The Cloned Tyrone. I think we saw a teaser for this a long time ago. It seems like it's taken quite a while to come out. One of my notes says, edgy and stylish with a sense of humour which is probably close to a pull quote you could see on a trailer or a poster (laughs) description. But it looks pretty cool. John Boyega is obviously great in pretty much everything he's been in. I wonder if the film is going to touch on a bit of erasure and classism. It seems to be in there in the trailer, certainly. Oh, for sure. It looks wild. (laughs) It does. It looks very 70s. The stylized everything. It looks like it was filmed on film. Because there's a lot of really natural looking grain in there. Or if it isn't, it's made to look like it was shot on films. And all the costumes and the colors, it looks trippy. I think I'm going to have a really good time with this. I'm always here for black science fiction things. Because I feel like they, as you say, they go deeper into some social stuff. Which is made explicit that that's the point. Things like Sorry to Bother You. That's the one. Sorry to bother you. I think so. With the call center and stuff? Yes. Where it starts off being about ostensibly the sci-fi concept and then it morphs into something else because it has to make a point about the actual world that we do live in. So I'm very, very looking forward to this. The cast is all great. It looks super fun. Or even something like Attack the Block. Also John Boyega. Much younger. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Such a good movie. That's very location specific isn't it it's very culture specific to those kids in that kind of area i'm interested in this i hope it has enough substance to back up its style based on the trailer you don't necessarily get that impression but it's a trailer they're designed to do these kinds of things aren't they moving on to justice league war world which is an animated dc film that is kind of the culmination of build-up that's taking place over a few films although the build-up has been happening largely in post-credit scenes The recent slate of films that are set in this continuity have been focusing on side characters like Supergirl and so on. And they've been better for it, as far as I'm concerned. This seems to be returning to the Trinity, though, Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman. And then War World, they get put into different sub-films to deal with. So Batman's in a fantasy realm, Wonder Woman's in a Western, and Superman's in kind of a detective noir with a sci-fi twist. I love the DC animated films, and it's great whenever I get to speak to anybody that's involved in them as part of the press junkets that they do. They make me phone a number and speak to someone for 10 minutes. I'm really looking forward to this. I think it'll be really good. It's a loose culmination of a bunch of things. You with no connection to these films, I'm assuming, did it grab you in any way? Not really, no. I've seen Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, that was a while ago. Yeah, I don't follow them or anything, so I don't know very much about it. I don't know very much about the storyline, so I don't know if I will watch this, to be honest with you, or if I do, it might not be when it comes out. But it looks like it's a very interesting comic run, at the very least, where the source material comes from. I'm always happy to see animation being used to really push 
creativity and stuff and hey let's do something cool from this comic run and it doesn't have to be the two billion dollar five part <laughs> six hour extravaganza we can make a movie dc films could be good actually watch these truly i think they do such a good job with their animated shows all the batman stuff and the superman stuff that i've seen the animated stuff has been consistently great and it's made with love and they look good and they don't pull punches i think there'll be a lot of drama be really sad they're not just trying to make mindless animation for kids and i really appreciate that yeah and jensen ackles is batman in this so maybe that's a thing Ooh. that people will be into well done jensen i guess I don't know if I get invited on to do junkets, if I'll get 10 minutes with Jensen Ackles, but <laughs> that would be incredible. Yeah. I did get 10 minutes with Troy Baker, who was Batman in another one. Oh, he's great. Yeah, he is. Love Troy Baker. So I suppose anything's possible. It seems like Jensen Ackles is the kind of person that doesn't need to do 10 minute press junkets for animated films that he does a voice in. Not that it's beneath him as such, but I feel like that's just not something that he'll spend his time on. If he does any promotion, it'll be a big interview with some larger outlet that's not me unfortunately but who knows maybe he'll surprise me jensen i am available <laughs> i was the one person that watched unchampioned the winchesters you owe me <laughs> our last trailer before we move into perhaps a special guest is teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mayhem the most striking thing about this is the animation is very good i feel like we have spider-verse to thank for kind of raising the bar and it looks like whoever's making this has accepted that challenge and delivered something that looks really unique. In terms of the actual themes that you associate with the turtles, this is nothing new really. It's feeling isolated from the world they protect and want it to be part of something, dealing with being part of a sort of found family, all that stuff. It looks pretty standard turtles, but you can't criticise it for that because that's what all the turtle stories pretty much are. It is designed to be rebooted every few years for a new generation of people. So this is just the reboot for whoever the current generation is. And they get to see something that looks this good. And I'll watch it because it looks this good. Yeah, it looks amazing. I'm genuinely really excited for it. Not for nothing, but those Michael Bay movies did a disservice to the Turtles story. Speaking of exploiting Megan Fox. Yeah, I just want those movies to be erased from our minds collectively. And let's start again with something that's made with so much love and with so much effort. I mean, look at that style. They come across as teenagers, actually, not just dudes in their 20s who are acting young. They're written in a very compelling, real way. I'm very, very hyped for this. I think it's going to be great. Cool. You'll be... The current generation of Turtles fans, I guess, in mm. that respect. That's the way the Turtles work. I watched the one that was made in the late 80s when I was young, and I haven't watched much since, really. But like I say, I feel like the franchise is designed to do that. You sort of grow out of it or age out of it, and then you might come back to it when they do something like this. It's one of the few things that continually reboots that isn't frustrating about it, because I guess they go after the particular demographic that want to watch these things at the time rather than trying to sucker in everyone else that used to watch it, if that makes sense, like some other franchises do. And that's kind of what the Michael Bay films were trying to do. They were trying to latch on to the 90s nostalgia, yeah. and they failed because they just didn't capture it properly for various reasons. No, not at all. A couple more trailers to do, but in order to do them, I'm going to toss a coin to our Witcher, and he can appear. So if you're afraid of Witchers, you can hide for a few minutes, and we'll see what Aaron has to say about things. 
Okay, I have tossed a coin. Did that summon a witcher? Aaron, are you a witcher? Did the coin do anything? Did the coin compel you to be here in any way? Well, I'm not quite sure if I'm a witcher or if I'm an alien race on a space station in the middle of desperate times. So I think it could be a bit of a personality crisis there, actually. Which personality do you need first? I assume the witcher one. Yeah, we're going to go with that first because it's first on the list, but... Even if you're not a witcher, you were attracted by money, which in a capitalist society is why we're here, I guess, at least according to some. Okay, yeah, why not? I do use money. And you do require it to exist. In this current setup, so yeah, I'm going to have to go with yes. Don't know how far my coin that I threw will take you, but... We'll find out. Yeah, these days it's not good. Anyway, there is a trailer for The Witcher Season 3. You have watched The Witcher Seasons 1 and 2. I have not, so I didn't bother watching this trailer. So what do you think? This is the season before Henry Cavill leaves, isn't it? So does he care? (laughs) I think it's that and a bit further because the end of Season 2 is reasonably famous, I think, among the fan base as being the point where they really did catch everybody by surprise and change the lore. Henry Cavill has always had comments on the lore and how they might have followed it a bit more closely. And I think that's dogged him throughout the entire double season so far. There's been chat of him arguing with the writers or disagreeing with the writers, yeah. Yeah, and then they get to the end of season two and they change big parts of it. I think the meaning of some of the main characters, well, same main characters, there's two main characters, they change a lot about Siri and her backstory, and everybody's like, you are? And if they're going to make those big changes, it does raise an age-old question. When you're adapting a source material, how faithful should you be to the canon? And how much should you change such that it is a sufficient surprise and therefore of interest to people that already know the story. I think it's what you went through on The Last of Us with the computer game being very faithfully, shall we say, turned into a TV series. So what is the responsibility of the writers in that sense? Is it to the lore or is it to the current audience and making it more enjoyable because it's unknown? And I'm not sure there's a good answer to that, but they've certainly chosen to abandon the lore to the extent that even Henry Cavill has said, yeah, okay, fine, all right, I'm out. This has gone beyond the pale for me. I'm off to be Superman for 10 years. Oh, wait. Yeah, but the point is, he doesn't even matter if he gets rejected from that because he can say, oh, well, I still like Warhammer. So, <laughs> bye to all of you. Amazon aren't going to drop that anytime soon, are they? Are they? Please, Amazon, don't drop this. There's no guarantee on anything, but Warhammer is huge. It's just huge. If they're wanting to say, where can we get money? It's from a fan base that has sufficient monies to purchase large numbers of figurines. There's money there. They'd be daft to give it up just because somebody said it's not profitable. They stuck with The Expanse for six seasons, and much as I enjoyed The Expanse, it's a series of books. And there might be a couple of games that you can follow up on that, but it's not what you call a license to print money, whereas Warhammer is a license to print money. So Mm -hmm. I can't see them turning away from it myself. Well... Henry Cavill will be hoping not because the boy needs a job. He'll be fine. He'll stumble into something. 
Ah, he'll be fine. He's in so many films. He'll be fine for work. The only thing he is potentially is losing is work that is also something he can fanboy about. That's a very specific job that not many of us get to embrace. So I think he's still lucky where he is. He's done Superman and he's happy with it. He's had a bit of trouble with The Witcher, but he still gets to play the computer games and read the book. So who cares? And now he's been off of Warhammer. So I think he's fine. He'll be all right. Yeah, I'm sure he'll land on his feet. So the third season trailer then, what were your thoughts? Disappointing, I think. And I'm going to try and constrain my comments to the trailer and not any previous conversation we've just been having about the lore. The reason I say that, therefore, is because when you watch the trailer, it's lots of generic, we didn't think it could get worse, but it's going to be. We thought we defeated the big bad, but there's an even bigger bad. I cannot believe you were in danger before, but now you're in even more danger. So even I am afraid now. And it's just generic. The world is being threatened by a great power and we're going to have to fight it. And it's difficult to see how this is the Witcher from the script that we saw. You know it's the Witcher because you're watching literally the Witcher and you're watching Ciri become a Witcher. And there are monsters and people are talking about fighting the monsters. So I know it is the Witcher, but only because I can see it. The script is just generic, bid, bad, comes to fantasy world. There will be a fight, there will be a war, there'll be an army, there'll be magic. It's everything that, unfortunately, I think gives fantasy a bad name. Big bag, mass army battle, hero has to prove herself and come good. Well, I've seen this. This is such a shame, especially because they've made a choice to bring it to this. We thought we should get rid of the old lore. It's not good enough because our plot is better. Is it? You've replaced it with generic plot. So how is that better? What have you brought to this by changing us away from that? I'm sure we talked about before how the people making this stuff certainly might feel like audiences don't want the deep cut lore, high fantasy stuff. But you've also said that there's nearly none of that, certainly in high budget form. Mm. The difficulty with that choice, though, is if you don't put some distinct lore in, I think you end up where I've just described, generic fantasy. Yeah. Surely audiences are also going to say, well, I've seen this. What's the point? Why am I here? Lord of the Rings clone sort of mentality. Well, absolutely. And that's got to be just as big a danger. So based on that, presumably there is a happy medium where you put enough in to make it distinct. And people are having to make choices based on the world that they are in still but you don't require people to do their homework and look everything up afterwards. And on paper, that sounds so reasonable. Why isn't it always done? But something is dragging it in one direction or another. Or at least the people that have made the trailer have put it there. And maybe the series will actually be amazing. It might not be on-topic lore, but maybe the series will be amazing. But I would say from the trailer, I can't tell that. Netflix obviously have faith in this show is maybe pulling in the numbers they want because well they've given it three seasons which is practically unheard of for netflix these days well, yeah and committed to a fourth with well, yeah. a different leading actor yeah and a spin-off is it just the one spin-off i'm personally in the camp that there wasn't a spin-off but yes i suppose technically accurate podcasts <laughs> we have to acknowledge it that was hopefully their chance to learn that lesson because if you could have taken that make it generic fancy and turn that up to 11 then the spin-off was 
perfect in fulfilling that criteria. It was just so blandly terrible. It doesn't really deserve much of the mention. But if they've learned from it, then they know to make The Witcher less bland, more interesting. So to sum up, you're not enthusiastic about the trailer, but you hope that the actual product will be not represented by this trailer. I'm hoping that. I suppose that I don't have enough faith in that because Henry Cavill himself is telling me that they're straying away from the lore and I can't see them moving in a direction that means anything. It is still possible, though. So I'll say yes, but I'm not hopeful. I'm going to watch it, but it's one of those ones where you're going to go in with low expectations, I think. Cool. Okay. Well, I have no opinion and I don't plan to start watching it now, so that's what we have to go from. We'll maybe hear you talk about what you thought of the third season at some point in the future. We may not. Who knows? Yeah, probably. So let's move from fantasy to sci-fi and we have another, I guess, legacy sequel. Definitely is a legacy sequel. We have an animated Babylon 5 movie coming out called Babylon 5 The Road Home, which features some of the original cast returning in voice roles. I'm guessing some sound-alikes because a few of the original cast are now dead and can't reprise their roles. I watched this trailer because I was told by people that saw the trailer that it is trying to pull in a new audience. I watched the trailer and I was totally lost. I had no idea who anybody was or what the hell was going on other than some guy is jumping between universes. So it's another multiverse movie. They're jumping on that bandwagon. Uh, Yes. (laughs) But without me knowing anything about Babylon 5, I have no idea what the significance of the other universes he's going to is. I know from osmosis, I suppose, or listening to other people talk about it, that Babylon 5 was deeply rooted in time travel. It was part of its core setup. It was essentially a time loop type show, wasn't it? The idea that things will happen in the past that influence the future and they'll complete a loop at some point and all that stuff. I'm maybe oversimplifying it because I haven't actually seen it myself, but that's my understanding of what part of its setup was. It's one of those tricky ones, actually, because of that. Well, it reminds me of the Lord of the Rings problem where there's a joke about some kids going in to see Lord of the Rings and they come out saying, oh, it's every fantasy film I've ever seen before. And there's some (laughs) older guy bashing his head against the wall. It's kind of funny for a show that does deal with time travel to then raise the problem of what came first. None of it came first. We're all in it together in one big time loop. So it is a shame because, yes, it does have a reasonable grounding in those time loops. But because, as you say, multiverse and time stories have then since gone on after was really become commonplace, how many people are going to be able to go back and say, oh yeah, but Babylon 5 did some of these things before those other shows? Because you're right, I'm not convinced this opens up to a new audience. I think this is pretty much those people that love Babylon 5. And if you go on the internet, which I couldn't resist doing, and looking for reactions... The fan reactions are, oh my God, this is amazing to see all those characters. We get to see them again. And Babylon 5 is awesome and everything's amazing. And then you look to the rest of the world and it's just tumbleweeds going past. Nobody's (laughs) even noticed. So it might say it's going for a new audience, but even as somebody who's seen it before, I can't understand how. I think you know all you need to know. You might have felt confused, but you don't need to know any more than you did because the plot is seemingly... As simple as someone gets to see what if and has to find their way home whilst they go through all of these what ifs. 
and that's it. You've got the plot. You will see this person jump to various different versions of Babylon 5 history where people won or didn't win various conflicts. And they will do lots of big set pieces where they'll blow up Babylon 5 again. I'm sorry, spoilers. And then they'll do another one where they'll kill off a character. And it'll all be reasonably meaningless if they don't ground it in the actual human stories. So you know you're going to need that. I say human, what I mean, people stories. But if you're going to get that, how are they going to give it to you quick enough? Because it seems like it's going to open with him being sent away and you're going to see him with his wife oh he's been taken away from his wife but you'll be asked to just assume an emotional stance oh man is being dragged from wife i must be upset if they don't do it really well so i'm not saying it's impossible but i'm a bit the same way as i was with the witcher i am not enthused to see this based on the trailer alone because it's a time travel what if story. There's even somebody who's created a show called What If recently. So it is in danger of being generic time travel stuff. However, there is a rich history behind it. So they could make lots of personal stuff in it and they could access all of this and it could be awesome. But if you're asking me to comment on the trailer, I don't think it does anything more than get the fan people buzzing. Which is fine. And if that was what the intent of this thing is, then great. You don't have to pander to people like me that didn't follow mm. the show. When I first heard about it, I thought that's why it was an animation, other than the notable handicap of having dead actors that can't reprise their roles. That is another well, yeah. reason that you could animate it to bring those people back with, as I said, sound likes. So I was happily going to just write it off as, this ain't for me, it's a thing I wasn't into, so there's no point in me engaging with it because mm. it's been too long. Babylon 5 fans, great. Fill your boots. Hope you love it. And then that would have been the end of it. But then when people said there was something about it that suggested they wanted to pull in a new audience, which I'm going to have to ask about because, like I say, I watched the trailer and I was lost. And you talked about it being a what-if story. What-if stories only work if I appreciate what the difference is, if I know what yeah. has changed. The TV show What-If if you showed that to someone that's never seen a Marvel thing before, they wouldn't care. They'd be, okay, but why is this difference significant? What happened before? Because I don't think the stories are necessarily strong enough on their own without that background knowledge of you comparing it to what happened before. So yeah, I could watch this guy jump to other universes and react to all the horrible or maybe good things that have happened in these other universes. And for me, I'd be thinking, well, I don't know what happened in his universe. So yeah. I guess it's a shame that he doesn't like this one. Maybe. Yes. I don't know. So it's definitely not for new viewers. And that's fine, though, because it is a continuation of a TV show that ended, was it 25, 30 years ago, something like that? The strangest thing about that for me, though, is the stated aim. You don't get this from the trailer itself. You get this from listening to the chat online. One of the stated aims from the creator, and it is the original creator come back, so yay for that. Yes, J. Michael Straczynski. All right. One of his original stated aims, I think, is to flesh out some of the origins and history behind why everything is the way it is, and therefore... I'm led down the path of thinking, well, in that case, it's definitely for the existing fan base. So I'm really surprised to hear that it's technically trying to awaken a new audience because both of those facts would seem to work against it. And the only way I think I would have seen it being for new audiences is if they'd actually made the foreground plot the primary thing that you were seeing 
in the trailer. So have a person who is telling you their current situation. And it could be a narration or an exposition, or it could be him going through a problem. But I was more expecting to see something where he's on screen for the, almost the whole thing, and the other characters are just barely teased in the background. And he's saying things like, I've been doing this for what feels like 20 years now, and every time I turn a corner, I see a familiar face, but they look back at me without knowing who I am. It's something like that to say, this is a personal story about this person, and you like him, and you pity him, because his situation seems so awful. And then a new audience is dragged in because even in three minutes, they've maybe bonded with this guy, but you don't see that. You see universe after universe after universe, which is reference to event, reference to event, reference to event, and side character, side character, side character, side character. And so there's no attempt to create a personal story at all, which, as I say, I think would be accessible. It is more about the set pieces and the explosions and the characters making witty comments that you know are funny because you remember what they said for five previous seasons. So unless they're doing another trailer, I think they've done everything to the opposite of what you were originally told, which I don't know if it's a shame or not, because I don't know where they're going on. Are they trying to build a new series? Are they trying to do a continuation of the galaxy after Babylon 5? Not sure what their plans are. Well, this is definitely a continuation of the original show, the reboot, also handled by J. Michael Straczynski, is still in development, I believe. It was yeah. supposed to be on the CW at one point, but that won't be happening now. The CW is becoming yeah. reality TV trash with only a couple of scripted dramas on it, and one of them is not going to be an expensive sci-fi series. I can guarantee that right now. Certainly not a yeah. brand new expensive sci-fi series where you have to build all your assets from the ground up. So it's probably not going to be that. So it's a legacy sequel, but for fans of the original which is like i say it's great it's animated so they probably don't have to make tons of money on the back of it as long as it does well enough which you imagine it will do through the fan community that exists for babylon 5 i know you've talked about how fanatical people are about the show oh yeah i know people that love it as well so i appreciate the fact that there is a wide-reaching fan base in fact on the we made this network where i appear sometimes there is a babylon 5 focused podcasts so yeah it has a huge fan base it was one of the big sci-fi shows at the time it was on at the same time star trek wasn't it and there was comparisons made between that and deep space nine because they both take place on space station questions about who copied what and all that stuff well yeah they're both a bit darker as well than the original star trek next generation and they both have alien races interfering with humanity however directly it is war or spies in the background so i could see the parallel certainly but they were both titans of sci-fi at the time, and Babylon okay. 5 did its five seasons and then a spin-off, and that was about it, wasn't it? It didn't really stick around. Getting a considerable number of little side films as well. I don't know how popular they were, but yeah. But it didn't stick around in the way that Star Trek did, for example. So it's been a while no. since we've been in this universe. It's like... All of these old series, even Stargate, which had quite a few series and continuations, people are still, I'd like to see more of it. And there's a massive fan base that would say, can we have another season, please? Star Trek has managed to be the one that always gets another season. <laughs> so yes, Star Trek has certainly survived better. So yeah, a what if animated film geared only at fans. I don't think I will be watching this because it would be an hour and a half or however long it is of me going, who's this? What's going on? Why is this significant, etc.? They don't even do the standard legacy sequel thing of 
introducing a new young character who can be guided by one of the old characters so that the old mm. character can naturally explain to them how everything works because they don't know. They don't even do that. It's just full fan service as in we expect you to know what's going on and follow this. Which, again, if that's who you're aiming your film at, then fine. You don't have to spend any time on inviting me in as a new fan if I was going to be one. It's even something that brings up the law conversation because I assume it'll be really faithful to law because of it being Straczynski again. But we already know the end point for the main character. We already know where his life goes. It was written. So this is something that occurs between the end of the TV series and the end of his life that we already know. So it does make you wonder what are the stakes going to be? And I'm personally someone that believes you can write stakes for somebody whose fate is determined because you can make it about the people around him that he has to save and so on. So there are things that can be put under threat, even if he is completely immune because of plot armor. But it seems like he's going to be the central figure here. And the big thing is about, oh, will he get home? Yes, he will. We know he does. So it's fine. Don't worry about it. I don't know. It's a tricky one. It's really tricky. Well, we said that with Andor, didn't we? The fact that we know that Cassie and Andor survives, but we don't know what happens to the people around him. Absolutely, yeah. Those are the stakes. He could be walking through a, a field of his friends and their family's corpses, and that would be horrible for us to see. So the threat value is there if you do it right. Yeah, fair enough. So someone will see how this pans out, but it won't be me. Maybe someone will say what they think of it when it comes out. Do you think you'll watch it, or are you not that interested? Maybe is the best I can commit to, because I wasn't the total fan person from the start, and I'm not enthused, so we'll see. Fair enough. Let's move on to your last reason for being here. This is one that you brought to my attention. It was on the list already, but you asked if it was on the news list, so... Since you showed some enthusiasm for it, we're going to talk about it. It is a trailer for a Netflix show that starts in January called Three Body Problem, which is based on a series of books. I didn't know that when I added the thing to the list. So what is it about this that piques your interest? It seems to be good old-fashioned sci-fi, which is something that can be difficult to find in a film and TV world at the moment, which is about not the big explosions, but about the big set pieces and people looking cool and doing dramatic stunts on camera. And you don't seem to see any of those older, it seems a bit elitist to say it this way, but more intellectual sci-fis that's asking you to think around an ideology or a philosophy. The sort of thing that was posed in Outer Limits, however seriously or unseriously it was, Nonetheless, somebody took a concept and said, right, let's ask what would happen if this is true and, and let's really go for it and let's tackle some real human issues. The sort of thing that you would quite happily argue the old Star Trek used to do in its weekly shows. Okay, this week we're going to analyze what would happen if there were three genders and one of them was suppressed as an STNG episode and then they moved on. For technical accuracy, that was actually an Enterprise episode. I can picture Will Riker talking to the person with the third gender. No, you're thinking of the episode where he fell in love with the androgynous person. Okay, fair enough. I trust you, technically accurate. You've got a better knowledge than me. The Enterprise episode was called Cogenitor, where there was a third gender that oh, uh, right. the species they encountered and trip ruined everything. Did he indeed? That sounds like something he would do. He made some mistakes, let's put it that way. But the one you're talking about is an androgynous race where they're encouraged not to choose a gender or it's taboo to choose a gender and then Riker falls in love with one of them and again, makes a mess. 
of it all. But the, it comes back to then those series of Star Trek were attempting to investigate a societal concept and they explored it and they proposed some what ifs. And then they got to our conclusion. I don't think I'm seeing a lot of that at the moment. You do see some mystery stuff. I quite liked 1899 as a science fiction thing. There was a bit of mystery to it, but I'm not sure it was really investigating the universe. Whereas three-body problem is by definition, right from the start, investigating on the foreground the very physics of our universe. But then in the background, I'm told, and I've not read enough yet, so I can't even spoil it myself, that it will ask questions about humanity as well, and specifically some of the things that we're doing to our planet, and therefore to ourselves. And add on that, even in the book, and I say I've only read the start of it, so I won't know loads of this, but even in the book, it gets really weird really fast. The writer doesn't worry about, is this possible? Is this mystical? Is this magical? Is it physics we don't understand? And trying to lead you into it right early on, something creepy happens after they've just said all of physics is under threat. So you know they're going to go right into the fabric of reality when they're investigating this stuff. And when I saw the TV advert, it's pretty clear that they are leaning right into that. Now, that might mean that if you're the sort of person that hated Legion, the TV series Legion, this is just going to be too freaking weird for you and you need to stay away from it. But if you're the sort of person that's going, okay, that's just weird and I need to know, I think it's going to be a show for you to love. From the trailer alone, I'm expecting there to be weird metaphor in dream images and spirituality mixed in with physics and people questioning reality and their existence all the way through it. And I'm kind of into that. So I'm looking forward to it for all those reasons. The trailer certainly front loads its visuals. So some of the stuff you're talking about, I didn't get from the trailer. Mm. So it was interesting to get that perspective of, you know what the books are getting at, because I don't think the trailer necessarily promises that. No, maybe not. But there's certainly some striking visuals in there. And it gives you the impression that it's a sci-fi that's a bit grounded in reality in terms of the machinery that you see. It looks like yeah, this is practical. It looks like it could work. It looks like you could figure out how to work it by looking at it. And the visuals are very striking. It does look like they've spent some money on it, certainly. So interesting on Netflix's part to commission this, I guess. How old are the books? Are they recent? I actually would have to look that up, and I'm prepared to look that up for you right now if you want. I got a reference to them from a YouTube channel, so I didn't stumble across them new. 2006. Quite a while ago, then. Yeah, and... It's interesting to see them pick up a Chinese author as well. I have seen so many people pick up these odd little American stories and turn them into something. And they're these backwater novels that you're thinking, I know you love it, but really does the whole world love it? And then the series doesn't really become amazing. What they've done now is pick something that is acknowledged as being an excellent trilogy from outside of that normal pond of influences. And I think that's heartening because I'd rather them take something that is good, solid material and try and do something with it than try and force this little book that only a couple of people loved to be something amazing. I think I'm just trying to say that this book seems like it's got something to say and that's what I want from my science fiction. Okay, and it debuts in January and... In true Netflix tradition, it will be less than a week after it drops that they'll announce it's cancelled and won't get another season. Oh, undoubtedly. Because that is Netflix's way, isn't it? They get you into something potentially and then take it away from you. 
I don't know how many of the trilogy they're going to create, but I assume an annoyingly incomplete number. <laughs> you would have to imagine maybe a season per book. That's the typical structure, isn't it? That would be reasonable, yeah. Unless the books are so dense that it would be impossible to do it in one season. Well, though you come back to your law versus what do we need to change to make it fit on screen arguments, because there will be too much in the books, so they will have to abridge. But can they do that cleverly? Who knows? Yeah, can you do that in one season? I mean, we're looking at Dune, which has been condensed into two films rather than a TV series, which it might have better potential to be, I don't know. But adaptations are a skill. They are, yeah. It's not easy to just take something that existed in one medium and transfer it to another. No, it's not. Because the rules are different in those mediums. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good luck to them, but we'll see. Yeah, well, you'll find out in January, I guess. I will. That's the one of these three that I will be definitely watching. Opening weekend, binge watch. That is the Netflix model, unless they've changed it by then. Who knows what Netflix are going to do, yeah. Well, I know one thing they're doing is not allowing people to share accounts anymore, so that's something. Oh, I've not seen the fallout from any of these things yet. Well, when Netflix did the whole account sharing block, you had all the other streamers just throwing shade at them online, as if they weren't planning to do the same thing in six (laughs) months. Yeah, we'll steal all of your customers and then we'll do it to them anyway. At that point, they'll know that everybody's done it, so there's no point in them going back. Yay! Yeah. So any last things on that trailer or any of the other two before I throw another coin to see if it will attract you in a direction? No, I think I'm ready to be banished again. Cool. Well, let's do that. Thank you for joining. Bye. And Aaron is gone. You're safe to come out now. Oh, thank God. I'll tell him not to take that personally. Yeah, very scary. He can be a scary man. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to talk about Marvel again. There is a couple of things. One of them's not even really Marvel. It's more Marvel adjacent. The first one is Captain America 4, that used to be called New World Order, is now called Brave New World. Good. Are they trying to make some kind of Huxley reference? No, they're trying to avoid racist connotations. New World Order is a conspiracy that is anti-black, basically. Right, okay. So I think it's a good choice that they're moving away from that title so that it doesn't have those connotations because it has a black protagonist. And you know that there's going to be a far-right contingent that would take it that way and maybe has taken it that way. Nasty American racist conspiracy theories. Yay! But also, the novel Brave New World, the title is essentially sarcasm. The idea that it's anything but. So maybe that's what they're also getting at with this. Maybe. It's interesting to think about how, I don't know if accidentally is the right word, but accidentally prescient Falcon Winter Soldier TV show was. Because in the mix of all the stuff they were covering in that was, the blip gave us the opportunity to build a better world and do things differently. And then everyone came back and it went right back to where it was before, which is exactly what happened in our world. Yeah, well, I don't think that was accidental at all. But we didn't know it was going to head that way at the time, at least not for sure. Not for sure, but I think smart people could see that coming. Or non-cynics, I guess, because I was very optimistic. I was really hoping that people would take advantage of this opportunity for a reset, this clear delineation of things that are wrong with the way we have set up our world. And since we have to stop everything... Maybe this is the time where we reset and we make sure that it's not broken going forward. And what did we do? We insisted on going back to the broken things as soon as we possibly could. And making them worse. Yeah. 
as we are currently realizing. So yeah, I think it's not that hard to extrapolate that, but yeah, I'm interested to see where that's going to go. I enjoyed Falcon and Winter Soldier and the questions it was asking about that already. So first of all, it'd be cool to see Sam as Cap outright, but then also just to see what that means in a post-blip world to be Captain America. How can you embody the ideals that Captain is meant to stand for? How do you help people? That assumes they give any depth to the blip, which they have so far not done. Not done, yeah. Which is part of the problem that I have for the post-endgame stuff, is that all these concepts exist in the background and you're not even touching on them. You had the Sokovia Accords that were dismissed in a throwaway line in She-Hulk, for example. Well, that Mm -hmm. was all a waste of time then, wasn't it? Yeah, it's very much, all right, we're going to move away from this as quickly as we can because we want to throw some other things at the wall and see what sticks. And it's like, well, yeah, but what was interesting and not touched upon could actually give you some ideas about where to take things. But all right, I guess we're not doing that. Yeah, we're just going to pay lip service to it at best. It's a shame. But we'll see if this bucks the trend. It has to really prove itself, this film, I think, because there's not bad faith built up, but there's as we said earlier, a lot of mediocrity. So that's kind of the baseline assumption going into a Marvel project at the moment is, is it just going to be as mediocre as everything else? I think Guardians 3 was a good exception to that, but that's a different thing anyway, because it's this James Gunn front thing anyway. It was always going to be kind of its own thing. Whereas this will be, is it going to restore the quality that we once expected? I don't know. Mm. Harrison Ford will be the president though, so that's something. And possibly Red Hulk. He was finally asked about that and he said, what's a Red Hulk? <laughs> we know nothing more than before we ask the question. Well, either he does know and he's just <laughs> pretending to be aloof or he doesn't know and doesn't care. I think either is possible when you consider Harrison Ford. Yeah, very much true. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, more Marvel stuff. This one's more Marvel adjacent or maybe not. They are developing a live action Miles Morales film. They haven't really said anything more about that other than it's happening Will it be set in the MCU? Will it be set in its own universe that Sony play with? I don't know. Also, an animated Spider-Woman movie is in production. Whether that'll be the Jessica Drew one from the animated film that we just saw, or Spider-Gwen, I don't know. I feel like they would call it Spider-Gwen if it was going to be a film about her, though. Mm. So, who knows? But that's kind of exciting. I would quite like to see a Miles Morales in the MCU. I recall a time, and it might have been on this podcast too, before Tom Holland's Spider-Man, I was really hoping they would go down the Miles Morales route. Because we've already had all of these Peter Parkers. I think I'm okay. Of course, they ended up making three pretty good Peter Parker movies still. Um, But I was really hopeful that they were going to shake things up a little, tell a different Spider-Man story. So this is going to be exciting, I think. And obviously with multiverse kind of things which is the current marvel flavor it makes complete sense Mm -hmm. i still feel like they missed a trick in the mcu of introducing miles morales post endgame they could have had him be active while peter parker was blipped and he could have still became spider-man in his honor because he believed the original one was dead but obviously that's not the route they went down but we don't know if it will be an mcu film or not they've also said that a fourth spider-man movie with tom holland and zendaya is still in the works which may or may not be the same movie as the Miles Morales one. Uh, yeah, perhaps. Who knows? But there's spider stuff happening, so that's cool. I'm always up for more spider stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's never enough. It's always a good time. Let's hop over to DC. We've got one thing from DC. Andy Machete, who directed The Flash, 
has been rewarded by being given the director's chair on the Batman film in James Gunn's verse, The Brave and the Bold. I do feel like this could be his reward for actually stitching the Flash together into something that resembles a coherent thing, because in the studio system, that's not easy to do. There's very few directors that can actually work organically with a studio and other demands and the push and pull that that brings, and he did it. After this project that was The Flash passed around what feels like half of Hollywood, he came in and he turned it into something that was actually releasable. That's not to be sniffed at, and now he has the opportunity to pick up something from the ground up and make something, so... That could be exciting. Do we know very much about the story that this might be about? Yes, so it's going to centre on the Damian Wayne Robin, who is Bruce Wayne's son in the comics. The idea is that he has a dalliance with Talia al Ghul, who then gives birth to a child, who then seeks him out some years later, and becomes the new Robin. And he's a bit more impetuous than your standard Robin, a bit more bloodthirsty in some ways because he was raised by assassins. So Mm -hmm. you've got that conflict there. Batman has to mould him into something that's a bit more virtuous, at least by his standards. So yeah, that'll be the general gist of what they're trying to achieve in this film. And I'm actually quite happy to see a Batman film finally that features Robin after all these years because despite how ubiquitous he's supposed to be for Batman, he's never in the films. There's so many filmmakers and a lot of fans seem to shy away from the concept of Robin and say, this sucks, he sucks, he should never be in this, even though Robin was literally introduced a year after Batman was in the comics. It's maybe not the Robin I would have wanted to see and if you get Andrew started about how much he hates Damian Wayne, you'll be here all night. But conceptually, I think this is quite interesting and it seems like it'll finally deliver that Batman project I've been wanting that might be a bit different as opposed to... Yeah, he's dark and brooding and alone and trying to save Gotham from itself, that kind of stuff. Whereas this will characterise him in a very different role, or it should anyway. Yeah, especially in the last few years, well, few, the last little while, that dark and brooding Batman has definitely been the version that they've gone for, which, yes, it is kind of a staple character trait, but it's not always so black and white. And so, yeah, I agree with you that it'll be interesting to see a little different side of batman yeah so this next one might be the last time we ever talk about the cw because they have abandoned scripted drama completely almost apart from this one and i know this isn't your wheelhouse necessarily because you don't watch the show i didn't have time to get chris on to react to this unfortunately but superman and lois has been renewed for a fourth season yay after so long of teasing us that it might not get renewed for a fourth season and gotham knights didn't make the cut so Poor Misha Collins, a.k.a. Castiel, is now at work again. Poor guy. But he'll be okay, probably. But anyway, there is a catch for Superman and Lois being renewed for the fourth season. And that catch is getting rid of seven of the regular cast members. (gasps) (laughs) The people they're getting rid of, Dylan Walsh, Emmanuel Sharik, I think it's how you pronounce her name, Eric Valdez, Indian Navarrete, Will Parks, Taylor Buck, and Sophia Hasbeck. They are basically all the characters that live in Smallville which is where the show is currently set. Wow. Dylan Walsh is Lois's father. Sam Lane, Emmanuel plays Lana Lang. Eric Valdez is her now ex-husband, Kyle. Indy Navarrete is their daughter, Sarah. Will Parks is John Henry Irons from an alternate universe. And Taylor Buck is his daughter, also from an alternate universe, who is the daughter of him and Lois from that alternate universe. If that sounds confusing, that's because it kind of is. And Sophia Hasmick plays Chrissy, who is a journalist that works with Lois. I feel like this might be too high a cost 
for the fourth season because I always talk about how the pillars of Superman and Lois are quite interesting. It, it spins a lot of plates. You've got the superhero elements, you've got the adult elements, you've got the teenage elements, and slightly the town of Smallville and the internal politics there, although it doesn't really play with those too much. So what they're cutting out here is a major part of that. It seems like the teenage story's gone, the Smallville story's gone, and my guess is they're going to move to Metropolis for its final season, which cuts off these characters. But I wonder if the show can survive. It's not getting out of its fourth season anyway, but I wonder if the show can survive if you get rid of all of these characters. And to compensate for it, they have promoted Michael Cudlitz to series regular as Lex Luthor. So my guess is they move to Metropolis and have to deal with Lex Luthor, which is... A bit tried and tested ground for Superman, whereas I thought the appeal of Superman and Lois was the different surroundings and different situations that they put the character in. So as someone that knows nothing about this show, really, other than what I've told you, what do you think of this as the cost of renewal? It seems like a bummer, I gotta say. I agree with you that it sounds absolutely like they're pushing it towards a different kind of narrative direction, maybe because that's where things were kind of going anyway, that eventually there was going to be more of a Luther storyline, like the stuff that we might expect, as you say, from the tried and true Superman story, but perhaps with their own twist, of course, and they're just having to speed things up because they know this is their last season because the CW is imploding. Oh, it has imploded. Yeah, just rest in peace. We could always count on you for genre TV of dubious quality for shows that went on way past their prime, <laughs> for five iterations of the same show, kind of, but with different pretty people in them. It's the end of an era, and it's a bummer, and I hope that the show won't suffer too much, but it's also interesting for that to be the last show that the CW, the last scripted TV. Yeah. It's wild to me that we're facing that final moment for the CW. I thought they'd always be there. <laughs> What's that and Walker as well that survived the cull and maybe one or two other things? The uh, Jared Padalecki Walker. That's the one. But its prequel did not. I mean, are we surprised? No. Honestly, my biggest surprise is that they made another Walker show. Two other Walker shows. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hang on a minute. They must have done enough business to get the prequel. I watched the first two episodes of the Padalecki one. I wasn't keen. Mm. And I haven't seen Independence yet, although I will watch it at some point because I like Catherine McNamara. The person I always say is friend of the show yeah. because she appeared once for 10 minutes. She's really good. Your guilty pleasure of Shadowhunters, of course, is where she came from or one of the places she came from. And now she's Jared Padalecki's great-grandmother in a cancelled show or great-great-great-grandmother, something like that. I'm not sure how far back in the lineage she goes, but it's a shame. I'm not super optimistic about this fourth season of Superman and Lois, although I'm glad it's sticking around. I wasn't quite ready to say goodbye to everything I watch at once. But yeah, with the CW imploding the way it is, where are we all going to get our sexy love triangles? Yeah, I know. Sexy love triangles and teenagers played by people in their 30s. <laughs> <laughs> Just dubious supernatural romance, whatever. One wants some garbage content sometimes. They will be missed. And I think the CW have made some really great stuff as well. The Arrowverse wildly varied in quality, but when it was at its peak, it was some of the best TV around for my money. Yeah. And... Stuff like The Hundred, which was way more mature mm -hmm. than their usual fare. A lot of Supernatural was great. I know I like oh, to yeah. rag on it for having gone on for 15 <laughs> years, dear Lord. But some of it was good. It feels like an era of my life has come to a close and I am now well and truly in my mid-30s and I hate it. <laughs> Supernatural was a weird one because it started off on the WB 
and then transitioned over to the CW. So it was kind of a relic of an older time in some ways. Veronica Mars was a bit like that as well, because that was a WB show that was a CW show for its one season before it got Mm -hmm. cancelled. Such a legacy. And it's now getting replaced with crappy reality nonsense that I certainly won't be watching. Do I want to watch F-Boy Island repeats? No, I do not. (laughs) Thanks. I want to watch Superman. And I'll get to for at least 10 more episodes. Probably no more than that. Anyway, goodbye, CW. We will miss you. That's what we're going to say here. The next thing we already covered, Rebel Moon, two parts. Also, each chapter to get multiple cuts. I wonder if that just means there'll be the theatrical cut, the slightly extended cut, and another extended cut, a la Watchmen. The Snyder cut for Rebel Moon. The Snyder cut, yeah. Let's not talk about Snyder and cuts. (laughs) He does enable his supporters, which is something I don't like about him, because those people are crazy. Yeah, it's a little much, and I say this with all the love in the world, because I have friends who are Snyder fans. Yeah, but there's Snyder fans, and then there's what the Snyder cut, or Snyder cult, as they became known, were doing. Yeah, no, I have a friend who made it his entire personality to campaign for releasing the Snyder Cut. He is a grown adult with a grown adult job. (laughs) (laughs) I have to stress this. And I mean, I guess it worked because then they got the Snyder Cut and then they were very happy. So it's great. It's just very intense. But at the same time, I'm happy for creators to have people who get what they're trying to do. That's always nice. Even for someone like Zack Snyder, who's not the deepest person in the world, not the greatest writer or anything like that yeah so there's that let's move on to another franchise that i don't like fast and furious i still haven't seen a single movie oh wow (laughs) every time i hear about more outrageous and outlandish things from the fast and furious franchise i'm like actually i think i prefer it not having seen them because out of context it's hilarious that's about right yeah the biggest thing that possibly came out of fast x other than it being a cliffhanger and the fact that Vin Diesel is fighting with Jason Momoa now for being better than him. That's what he does. People turn up in his films and are way better than him. And yes. Vin Diesel spits the dummy out. He does <laughs> it every time. Well, The Rock appeared in a post credit scene of Fast X. And it turns out that he's probably not going to be in the part two of Fast X. He's actually going to be appearing in his own spin-off movie that he will be leading. So that's more of this pettiness of these professional tough guys who can't be in the same room together because they hate each other so much so the rock turns up he gets his own spin-off movie as part of this franchise and it's just (laughs) hilarious it's so pathetic isn't it these very high paid supposed tough guys who fight over how many punches they get to throw or get thrown at them in a film and argue about how much screen time they're going to get next to the other person or say that they can't stand in the same room as these other people and You get Vin Diesel, who gets threatened by everyone who's a better actor than him, which is everybody, because he's not a good actor. I'm surprised he's not fighting with Brie Larson, because he shared screen time with her in Fast X, and she's way better than him. So that's what's happening. The Rock is getting his own Fast and Furious spin-off movie set in between Part X and whatever they'll call Part 11. I imagine it will just be X1. (laughs) And the rumour is that it's going to be him and Jason Momoa somehow. I mean, I guess... Like I said, all I know is whenever a new Fast and Furious movie comes out and various memes start populating the internet or somebody makes a Twitter thread where it's like, here's how this new outrageous thing is the best thing ever. And then they explain their feelings about it. And I'm like, that's all I need to know. I'm happy you're happy. That's how I feel about this. Sure. All of this. Yes. All of the above. Why not? <laughs> I think I'm going to avoid watching these movies for as long as humanly possible and then eventually probably do a big 
marathon or just binge them for charity or something. I'll fundraise. You can watch them and see them turn from pretty dull street racing movies or point break remakes to some weird spy superhero nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> All I know is that they take a car to space. That happens. And something about a truck hitting another truck and then the car goes from the, the I don't know. I love it. I love it without having <laughs> seen any of it. It's great. The rumor is that the next one will be called, or this rock one will be called Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Reyes. Reyes being Jason Momoa's character. <laughs> Sure. So we'll never see Vin Diesel and The Rock stand in the same room ever again together. And I don't feel like I need that. But just the pettiness that goes on behind the scenes just makes me laugh continuously. It's very funny. It is very funny. All these man children. Yeah, all these egos behind <laughs> the scenes. Well, I won't be seen in the same room. Okay, my God, <laughs> chill out. You also have to make me look as tall as this guy. <laughs> Otherwise, I won't be happy. Yeah, then stand on this box. <laughs> Which is why you get all these weird angles. To make Vin Diesel look as tall as the rock. It's very bizarre. Mm -hmm. It almost looks like COVID filming to make it look like they're standing closer together. But <laughs> it's for a very different reason. Anyway, enough of fast. Yeah, sit and watch them one day, maybe. Isaac forced me to do it and I will never forgive him. <laughs> Thomas Kale, the Tony Award winning director of Broadway's Hamilton, has been tapped to direct Disney's live action take on the 2016 animated musical sensation Moana. Disney announced the remake earlier this spring and has secured Dwayne Johnson to reprise his role of Maui, the grandiose demigod of the wind and sea. Let's lump this under the, why are they making this? Yeah. Other than the obvious reasons, of course. Of ka-ching, ka-ching. Yes, I'm actually really annoyed that they're making a live action movie. It only came out less than 10 years ago. By the time it comes out, it'll be about 10 years, won't yeah, it? Yeah, but it hasn't aged poorly it's still right there and it's a great movie we do not need this nobody has asked for this thomas kale i enjoyed hamilton it's fine i think he's an all right director i'm sure it'll be great i just don't see the point this and the next story i think i feel the same way about so our next story is we have our casting for our human writers in the not required live-action remake of How to Train Your Dragon. Pick up an Astrid. Mason Thames, or Thames, and Miko Parker will star as Hiccup and Astrid, respectively. Says Miko Parker was in The Last of Us. I'm not sure who she played in that. I don't know. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Mason Thames, he was in The Black Phone and, as I say, The Last of Us. I like the How to Train Your Dragon movies. I actually think the trilogy rounds out as being an excellent trilogy. Absolutely. And... I really don't need them to do this, but they're doing yeah. it and there's nothing we can do to stop it. Yeah, I absolutely don't think that any of these live action remakes are necessary. And maybe this will come out being great. But first of all, the original movies are great and they stand up and, as you say, round up to be a fantastic trilogy. Honestly, I could watch them at any time. They still look great. Why mess with a good thing? Can you improve on this? Why would you want to improve on this? You just made it. It's not even that <laughs> old. I don't particularly care for this, I have to say. No. Oh, she was Sarah in The Last of Us, Joel's daughter, his ill-fated daughter. Okay. I don't know who any of these people are. I've never played the games or watched the show, but I believe you. <laughs> I won't spoil it for you, even though I just said ill-fated. <laughs> it's okay. I think I've told you before, literally my one phobia is mushrooms and spores and mold and things like that. So I don't think I'm ever watching this and that's okay. <laughs> I've made peace with it. Fair enough. I believe you all that it's a good story. Yeah, fair. Anyway, moving on. Rebecca Ferguson is in talks for Skydance Revenge pick Best Served Cold 
well, a revenge picture called It Was Best Served Cold. Uh-huh. Some work went into that, didn't it? <laughs> She's in final talks to star in it, a new film based on a best-selling book of the same name. The Deadpool director Tim Miller will be directing. Best Served Cold tells the story of the legendary mercenary Monza Mercato, played by Ferguson, the betrayal that ostracizes her and her ensuing quest for revenge will forever change a nation. Have you read this book? I know you read books. I, I do. You must have read them all. I've not read this particular book, but I do like Joe Abercrombie. He's also doing the script adaptation for this, so I'm excited. Why not? This is the sort of thing I would like to see more of. There's original sci-fi, fantasy, various genre things being published right now that are very exciting, that are cool, that are new. And so if you want to make a movie and you're stumped and you don't know what to make, here you go. Here's the thing. It's great. <laughs> Get the writer to do the adaptation. Amazing. So yeah, so I'm excited for this one. And yeah, Rebecca Ferguson is having a moment with Dune and Silo and this. Mission Impossible? Yeah, Mission Impossible, of course. She's all over the genre thing. So I'm very happy to see more of her. She's a really good actor. Yeah, I think she's really good at action stuff. She's always very believable in Mission Impossible. Mm -hmm. Remember in The Great Showman where she didn't sing? Oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) Very strange bit of casting there what was going on there but she is very good she keeps getting fan cast as lara croft oh i could see that i suppose but she'll be in this potentially she's in final talks which usually means it's pretty much going to happen they're just agreeing the money at this point i guess and she'll be believable as an action hero so that's cool more female-led action can be a good thing for sure yeah definitely moving on we have john wick 5 is in development and if you've seen john wick 4 that might be a surprise to you I have not, but at this point, nothing is a surprise to me. Is it a successful movie? They'll try to milk it. Well, shall I tell you why it might be a surprise? Sure. He dies at the end. Oh, shit. (laughs) I don't know why that was so funny. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, so that's interesting. They wouldn't really do a prequel at this point, would they? That would be silly. No. Keanu Reeves may be ageless, but I don't think he's that ageless. Yeah, that would be silly. So what is it? Okay, here's a concept. Hear me out. And if you end up using it, producers of John Wick, I will take 50 pounds. (laughs) It's cheap. Here you go. So John Wick dies. So all of this is in the afterlife where he exacts even more revenge on his dead enemies that he's already killed. (laughs) I had that thought, actually. Concept. You bring the dog back. (laughs) (laughs) I've only seen the first John Wick, so this is all I have to draw from. (laughs) I like the John Wick movies. I thought the fourth one was a little bit much, as in it's epically long. And it sort of lost me at points, but the action is still insanely well directed. Mm -hmm. There's a great top-down sequence where he's running through a building with a shotgun. It's a one-er, and it looks incredible. Yeah, There's a sequence where he fights up a very long flight of stairs to get to his objective of the duel that kills him at the end. And that's part of why it feels epically long as well, because he gets to the top of that flight of stairs and then someone kicks him down the flight of stairs and he has to do the whole thing again. (laughs) I just think, oh God. The thing is, if action sequences go on for too long, I start to feel exhausted because there's just so much movement and it's so kinetic. And I think the best action sequences know when to end. And I feel like in John Wick 4, they didn't always know when to end. Yeah. But at least it's not like in Fast and Furious where people will fight for a bit and then something environmental will separate them and nobody wins the fight. Because that's how those things play out. Contractually, no one can lose. That's happening, bizarrely. The Ballerina is something that's coming out next year. That's the Ana de Armas-led spin-off. 
Oh, right. And we're getting the TV series The Continental as well. I feel like John Wick's this thing that's an unfortunate victim of its own success because they made a really good film that came out of nowhere and captured people. Mm-hmm. And now it's got two spin-offs and five films. I'm not blaming him for any of this. It's just that's the nature of the film industry right now is, oh, well, this worked, so we better milk it. This is why none of this is a surprise to me. Yeah, of course. Of course they will. They'll milk this till the cows come home. And it may be remembered as a thing that was, oh, that's one thing that was really great for a little while. And then mm. now we'll have this. Yeah. You just have countless <laughs> John Wick injections 12. <laughs> into the, the John Wick universe. John Wick 12, please let me die. <laughs> He's been resurrected four times. He's fighting more oh, people. Man. <laughs> Could happen. Moving on, Quentin Tarantino reveals a few more details about the critic, or the movie critic, which is his supposedly final movie. Do you think it will be? Probably not. The movie critic takes place in California in 1977, and is based on a guy who really lived but was never really famous. And he used to write movie reviews for a porno rag. Okay. I don't care. I'm excited to hear he's about to stop because (laughs) I don't like Quentin Tarantino. I am so done with his shenanigans and his various opinions and mostly of the film bros who just love to idolize Quentin Tarantino. So I'm ready for no more new movies. Great. Thank you. The last one. Neat. I quite like Tarantino, but I'm not a Tarantino cultist in the way that some people are. Oh, good God. I like some of his movies, and there's films of his that I don't like. Yeah. Things like Reservoir Dogs, I think is a classic Pulp Fiction. I love it. I really liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, actually. I thought that was really good. I didn't like Django that much. I loved Inglorious Bastards. I thought that was a masterpiece. That was another one I didn't like oh. that much. I was into it to a point, and then when it got to roughly about the halfway point, it sort of lost me for some reason. I've never actually revisited it to find out why. But I remember there was a point where I just checked out largely. Another one I didn't like was The Hateful Eight. Oh, God. I thought that was the most pretentious thing he's ever made. It really was. Thank you. Very agreed. Sorry, Tarantino fans. Oopsie doopsie. But this sounds quite interesting. I like the idea of a filmmaker making a film about film criticism in some way. And there was a meme on line for a while where people were trying to figure out who would play them in Tarantino's movie about them as a film critic. Right. And I've never come up with an answer for myself. Don't know who could play me. Who would play you? Do you know? I'm not really sure. I don't know. Mm. I don't know what kind of movie that would be. An action spy thriller western. A film about someone that tries film criticism for a little while and then moves on to something else. Yeah, because it does not pay. (laughs) You cannot make a living doing this. Trust me, you tried. And then there's the film about me that does it despite the fact It'll never go anywhere. <laughs> Nevertheless, he persisted. And gets annoyed about the fact that all the press screenings are in London and I'm not. That sounds like a great film. Yeah. Let's sign up for that. Great. But who would play me? That's a question. Never quite settled on it when we discussed it. Me and Angus discussed it and he didn't have an answer. Mm. Which disappointed me. He's usually really good at that stuff. <laughs> he disappointed me in that respect. But never mind. Moving on. This is a project that we've talked about every month for the last four months or so. Radio Silence, who produced the new Scream movies. Scream and... Scream 6, just to confuse people with the numbering. (laughs) They are going to be producing a monster thriller Universal, and it's scored a great cast so far. And adding to that great cast is Giancarlo Esposito, who's never putting a foot wrong when he's in anything. Also in the film will be Melissa Barrera, Alicia Weir, Dan Stevens, Kevin Durand, Catherine Newton, Angus Cloud, and Will Catlett. They haven't said anything about what the film will be about, but the script has been written by Stephen Shields, and it's due to come out in April 2024, so we should hear some stuff about it 
relatively soon, but plot yeah. details will be kept under wraps. I love Universal Monster movies, the classic ones, mm-hmm. and the prospect of this level of talent appearing in a version of it now really excites me. Could this be the rebirth of the Dark Universe? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe all they needed was Giancarlo Esposito to finally Maybe. make the universe work. He's great, so I'm here for him and absolutely anything. So I will watch this probably, unless it turns out to be another Dracula Untold or Mummy. Hey, I liked Dracula Untold. I mean, okay, suit yourself. I don't know. <laughs> the Mummy was atrocious, I'll give you that. Yeah. I Frankenstein wasn't too bad either, actually. That was okay. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, that was not good. Despite containing Jai Courtney, I thought it was okay. He's okay, generally. I really liked him in Kaleidoscope, actually, with Giancarlo Esposito. I've not seen Kaleidoscope. It's not bad for a non-linear heist TV show. It shoots a little high and then doesn't quite stick the landing, but Jai Courtney's character is absolutely the standout. (laughs) He's fantastic. (laughs) I'm here for this. Whatever ends up happening, sounds like they've assembled a pretty good team already yeah melissa barrera in particular seems to be heading in some really interesting directions she did a lot of stuff before scream but that was the one that put her on the map Mm -hmm. for a lot of people and she's really good so i'm keen to see her do more and this will be an interesting thing for her i think oh she was in in the heights as well wasn't she Oh, okay. But I don't know if that necessarily put her on the map as such. don't know how popular that is. It's not not popular. It's Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah, true. It came out mid-pandemic. That's true. Yeah, it had a storied production history, to be fair. So, yeah. Also starred never-to-be-seen Batgirl, Leslie Grace. Ah. Shame. Anyway, that's happening. Moving on. We are getting another sequel to Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus 3 is in development. I haven't seen the first two. I've seen the first one. Okay. You didn't bother with the sequel? No. I am one of those people who watched Hocus Pocus kind of late. I feel like the people who really enjoy it saw it when they were kids. And kind of how I got introduced to it was, oh my god, I really loved this movie as a kid. You should watch it. And we watched it on Halloween and it was sufficiently spooky and we carved pumpkins and it was super cute. But I don't have any particular feelings about it. I'm not attached. It's just a movie I watched on Halloween one time. I heard mixed things about the first sequel anyway, and it was very much a split thing of the people who had feelings for the movie and people who didn't and all of that. So I feel like I have no skin in this game. I don't know. How do you feel about it? Well, I haven't seen the original, so I don't care. 29 years after the original sequel comes out, and it didn't make me want to go back and watch the original. Yeah, it's all a little bit underwhelming, isn't it? Yeah, why did you make this? Because Disney wants to weaponize nostalgia, that's why. Just milk whatever they've got in their drawers from years ago. Oh, we've got this, should we make a movie? Sure. I feel like at this point their pitch meetings are just like, alright, what do we got? What have we not remade and or made a sequel to? At least they didn't delete it like Willow, I suppose. (sighs) Not that many people liked Willow, but it didn't deserve that. They just made it and now it's gone. I never got to watch it. I heard it was really good and now I guess I don't get to watch it? It's stupid. You don't get to legally watch it. Interpret that however you will. Mm. No comment. No comment on that. But that's the thing. If you stop making things legally available to people, then what direction are they going to head? Seems the answer is pretty simple there. Backwards. The way we used to do things. (laughs) The way we used to do it. (laughs) And still do it for some people. Moving on. Yellow Jackets break out Sophie Thatcher to star in Companion, sci-fi thriller from Zach Kreger. All right. Drew Hancock wrote the original script and is making his directorial debut with the feature, the many plot points of which are being kept hush-hush. It is, however, being described as self-contained, and Thatcher is set to play a character who's more than meets the eye. 
Oh, lot to take from that. Mm. Is she a transformer? Because they are more than meets the eye. <laughs> Who knows? It does look like it's brand new original project written for the screen. No previous anything. So, okay. I'm not mad at this sort of thing at all. I feel like if people are to take anything away from this podcast, there's just so much sequel, remake, reboot, drivel being thrown at us that literally at this point, anything that's a fresh idea that's new is like, oh, yeah, I am thirsty. Give it to me. <laughs> she was okay in Book of Boba Fett, I guess. I haven't seen Yellow Jackets yet. Neither have I. But it is very much the thing that has propelled her. I think it's why she got the Boba Fett role as well. I noticed her in Boba Fett. She was distinctly better than any of the other motorcycle kids. Oh, she one of them. All right. Okay. Yeah, it was already a terrible segment of Boba Fett. And then she was prominent, and I was like, oh, okay, she's probably the good actor among all of these kids. <laughs> so they're putting her forward to try and make as good an impression as possible. So I'm excited for a new sci-fi thing with young talent. Sure. Hmm. Well, this one also has Jack Quaid, Lucas Gage, Megan Suri, and Harvey Guillen on the call sheet. Jack Quaid, once again, just being everywhere. That's what he does best. Turns mm -hmm. up everywhere. I don't begrudge him it, even though he is the most Nepo of Nepo babies. Yeah, quite. Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan as his parents. With a surname like Quaid. <laughs> yeah. And Meg Ryan as his mother. There's no doors closing in his face. Plus, he's pretty good. He's not one of those, oh God, this guy again, sort of actors that you sometimes get with people that are being forced on you. You know, like with Will Smith's kids. Oh God, Jaden Smith again. He's not been around in a while, but still. So yeah, I like Jack Quaid. He was in Scream as well, mm -hmm. as we mentioned, and Star Trek. He's the voice of Boimler in Star Trek Prodigy. He's in The Boys, if you watch that. No. Nope. No, nope, but he's in that. He's the normal look at the world of The Boys, I guess, at least to begin with mm -hmm. in season one. And he's pretty good in that. I think that's where I first encountered him or became aware that I first encountered him. I'd probably seen him before in other stuff, but that was where I noticed him. Also, he is the voice of Gwen's Peter Parker in Spider-Verse. Hmm. For those three lines we has or something like that. Right, yeah. That's quite cool. There's a little cameo. Yeah, you can do this. Why not? Has to be someone. Might as well be you. Mr. Nepo baby that gets all the opportunities. <laughs> Here's another one. Moving on. Something you might like or something you might not. I don't know. Depends on your view. Season five of Stranger Things is adding Linda Hamilton to its cast, which is very much in keeping with its 80s nostalgia, isn't it? Let's Absolutely. Put Linda Hamilton in here. Terminator. Yeah, I think that's a great casting choice. I'm wondering if she's going to play a villain character or someone who's likable, kind of like the Sean Astin role in the second season. So yeah, we'll see. I'm here for it. I do like Stranger Things a lot. So it's a good bit of news, I think. The exact details of who she's playing are being kept under wraps. Of course. More than exact details. Any details yes. are being kept <laughs> under wraps. But she's going to be in it. Anything she does, I think, will be great. And the announcement picture is of her upside down, which uh -huh. is her reference. Uh -huh. Yeah, hilarious. Well done, marketing team. Our last thing is possibly a disappointing note to end on, but Woody and Buzz Lightyear will both return for Toy Story 5. There's nothing about that sentence I like. <sighs> Toy Story 5, we do not need it. Also, Woody and Buzz, you got away with two good endings for these characters, even though Toy Story 4 was somewhat diluted, but still, you made something work out of it, even though the film itself is arguably completely unnecessary because of how great 3 was. 
don't push your luck. Don't try and do it again. Why would Woody be in this? He ends the fourth film as being lost. Yeah. Is he unlost for one last adventure? Yes. Just the biggest groan, honestly, to end this podcast with. First of all, yeah, as you say, why another Toy Story? And also, why all the same? Oh my goodness. The concept has a lot to milk if you want to just talk about some different toys and a different story, even though really those movies are about growing up and letting go, and they seem to just not be able to let go. My God. So I don't know that they're taking away any lessons from their own movies, to be fair. (laughs) Do as I say, not as I do kind of mentality to their messaging, isn't it? Yes, so. Honestly, I really didn't think that Toy Story 4 was necessary at all. And neither was Lightyear. I guess they'll keep doing this. Of course they will. I don't know why we're surprised. I thought 4 was fine, but yeah, I don't think it was... Well, it wasn't necessary, though, is the thing. It wasn't necessary, no. Toy Story 3 ends so strongly. Yeah. You don't need to tell me what happens after. He gives the toys away. He's grown up. He's letting go. He's moving on. And that's the point. The toys will give love to this other girl. And so it goes. You don't need to hammer it any more than that. But will we all go see Toy Story 5? Of course we will. Just so we can righteously criticize it. That is the problem, though, with all of this. We vote with our money and the money says, oh, they want to see this, so I guess we'll make more of it. And it's like, no, no, no. That's not what we're doing. The aversion to endings is a problem, isn't it? Just let things end. Yeah. Some things run their course and that's fine. And that's okay. Yeah. End with a bang, not a whimper. With Toy Story, I was actually pretty happy with the periodic shorts they would do. Yeah, those are great. Where Bonnie would go somewhere with the toys and they'd get into some kind of very brief adventure. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that destroyed the power of the Toy Story 3 ending. It was very much, yeah, they're still getting up to hijinks. They're doing stuff, but it's not super important. It's not going to be mega meaningful. It's just a thing. It's just meant to last for seven minutes or whatever. And that's fine. Yeah, those were really fun. Yeah. Them constantly revisiting the same ground with the franchise and they're going to force Woody back into the story. So what is it? Bonnie will take them to the park and Woody will be there again and they'll reconnect or something. I don't know. We don't need it. I think they were pushing it with four and they just about got away with it. The fact that it didn't turn into a total disaster was an achievement. Yeah. It was fine. Although I don't think I've watched it since I saw it at the cinema. No, neither have I, to be fair. But I have watched the other three. So that tells you everything. The way that I reacted to it tells you everything. (laughs) Anyway, that was it. That was a month of news and stuff. What did you think? A mixed bag, as always. Some exciting things, some good trailers, some not so good trailers. A lot of sequel news, (laughs) a lot of reboots. A lot of remakes and some interesting stuff coming. So swings and roundabouts, as is the film world nowadays. Yeah, we'll see how the writer's strike affects these things, announcements mm-hmm. and so on, as it continues to rage on, because fortunately the writers are not budget at the moment. Oh yeah, and they shouldn't, because if the studios have their way, they'll just pay people next to nothing to fix up AI-generated garbage And that's not a world I want to live in. That's not the art I want to consume. The genres that I love should not fall prey to that. So I'm super happy that they're fighting the good fight and they're keeping going. There's a great video of Adam Conover going to picket a Marvel shoot. And they shut production down for a day. And it's just very interesting to see just how much effort it takes to organize anything like this and actually make an impact. But knowing that you can make an impact, you can make a difference by showing up and by fighting for your rights as a worker. So yeah, unionize. (laughs) (laughs) If you take anything away, please join a union. 
I saw a couple of weeks ago that they were trying to blame the writers for the fact that they had to fire a bunch of janitors. Huh. I guess they weren't filling bins for them to empty or something like that. Wait a minute, all these writers that broadly probably work from home rather than from an office that doesn't exist. No, 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 they do. I've understood a lot about how writers' rooms work in the last little bit. There is the mini rooms that everybody hates. Yeah. Because you work on a project that doesn't necessarily get picked up. For like three, four weeks, and it's still work, but you don't really get paid for it. And then there's another project that won't get made and another job you won't get to work. And there's no guarantee that if they commission the show, they'll pick you up as the writer on it either. Yeah. Even though you've done all the development work. Mm-hmm. And obviously the six episode streaming model or whatever just pays less than if they got a staffing job on like a network show back in the day and things like that. And there's no mechanism for streaming royalties at the moment which is why they're deleting everything to avoid whatever they have to pay. So the mini rooms, they'll be office stuff. But I did see some writers talk about if they're writing their episode, they'll typically do it from home and telecommute or whatever. Right. That just became a practice. It was easier. There's no need to drive into the studio every day. It's fair. In LA too, and all these places where traffic is horrendous, that makes sense. Yeah, but it's their fault the janitors are getting fired. Mm -hmm. Always is. In case it's not clear, we stand with the Writers Guild on this podcast. Because they write the stuff that we like. Absolutely. And as a union rep myself, what I tell everybody is that your work is important. It doesn't matter what your job is. You matter. And by banding together and joining a union, you can fight for better conditions, for better pay. Your voice is stronger together. So if you haven't joined a union yet, you can look up how to join a union in your profession There's probably a union that takes up anybody, depending on your sector. So if you're in the UK, you can look up the TWC, who will tell you what union you can join. So please join a union. Be careful if your employer doesn't recognize unions, though. You can force them. It's great. If more than 50% of you join a union, you can make them recognize your union. So actually, just join a union. is the answer. So on that note, that was our chat about June's news trailers and things and unions and stuff. So Kat, thank you very much for appearing for some news. It was a delight going through all this stuff with you. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I would also like to thank Neil Stenson for the supply of music. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcast really. And on most of those apps now, there is a rating button and a facility to comment. Those ratings usually come in the form of stars. So, Kat, how many stars would you like from the people that are listening? No less than five, please. Yeah, no less than five. That sounds good to me. And if you want to discuss what we've talked about here, or anything else, you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or you can just leave a comment under neilbeforeblog.co.uk And as always, we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Blog. (laughs) 